Good evening and welcome to Alosa Fumar Takes. This is our 256th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studios of Azle, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Duplessis, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This is going to be a fantastic show. Yes, we might be exhausted. We might have coffee. The PCA trade show might have concluded just a few days ago, but we're here. We're alive. We're awake, at least for the least for first, first few minutes. Uh, before we get to us, introductions of our esteemed guest of honor tonight i do have to thank the people that make this show possible that of course is our sponsors tonight's show is sponsored by drew estate last month on their freestyle live drew estate announced and unveiled the latest freestyle live pack to be none other than the new all new liga provada h99 connecticut Corojo papas fritas yes in the most obvious look yet everyone knew what it was going to be a papas fritas but not everyone knew it was an h99 unless you have an incredible palette like myself and my guest tonight. But the Liga and the Pravada H99 Connecticut Corojo Papas Freitas is now available at Drew Diplomat Retailers. So check out your local Drew Diplomat Retailer today to check out the new, all new Liga Pravada H99 Connecticut Corojo Papas Freitas today. And welcome, everybody. This is our 256th take. Without further ado, I'm going to welcome in our guest tonight, sponsored by United Cigars. Smoke one today and start living united. Mr. Michael Herklotz of Ferriotego. Michael, how you doing tonight? Was there no applause track or something that's supposed to I come really, on after that? You know, I really need to bring I mean, one in. What a buzzkill. Yeah. I mean, I can just imagine everyone was on the edge of their seats and just went, oh. I've, well, I, I've, I've, actually, I've actually scared people with my video introductions. Um, um, or startled. I don't know if scared is the correct word, but definitely startled. I'm... I'm um i poor charlie Minato. i think i feel the bad bad for not preparing him for that because he was not he was not prepared and he was <laughs> he was very startled uh no business bro yeah my favorite though my favorite though um who he's he's known as a very stoic figure i know he's got a great sense of humor and those people who know him really love him um but um uh, jorge padron the opportunity i got to interview him at the pca trade show a couple years ago uh did my you know you've been on my video several times so did the thing and he's like whoa like and he like made this joke he's like man I'm about to shit my pants like he was like laughing it was a really good time i was like i made so i made jorge padron laugh that's uh that's my claim to fame so I'll that's take it. great that's great what's happening man you make it back safe i did i did yeah um unlike unfortunately unlike my colleague ben lee who uh um uh, got the curse of Zev put on him. He saw Zev at the airport, and then that just that just ruined his day. His one one of his bags went to DFW. One of his bags went for to North Carolina, and he got stuck in Las Vegas for an extra twelve hours. Ah, and then, which is it, like I would I would rather be stuck anywhere on planet Earth other than another six hours in Las Vegas. Yeah, it was rough. I mean, really, that 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 hope that you feel when you know you're headed home and you're leaving the desert when you get stuck for even another hour delay, it just, it brings me to tears. Yeah. It was, it was, I felt so bad for him. And like, it was just, just tragically following along. I got up the next morning. Like I, I got home, picked up my kids. Like I was telling you, came up to the evening routine, put them to bed. And you know, I passed the fuck out too. I was exhausted. I get up and my, my poor colleague Ben's like posted on Facebook, like, okay, Made it to made it to this place. He hadn't even gotten his connecting flight yet. Like they had, had to move another flight and stuff. Like I was like, Jesus, man. Like poor, poor guy. guy. Yeah, really poor guy. It was awful. 
it was just 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 awful and stuff but no man vegas was fun man it was i know we're going to talk a little bit about it um uh but uh but kind of wanted to uh just kind of talk about a couple things i had i i want to bring this up now because i i we were talking a couple of us were talking about um the food this year in vegas and uh there was this uh you know unfortunately like there's like i think there was a little bit more of everyone kind of went with the cocktail hour approach which has kind of been your thing for years so i think they stole a play out of the herklotz playbook um and uh instead of like dinners and stuff like that and so we were talking about like who had the best food and i was like and uh you're gonna love this aaron loomis who hates everything said that uh that you're <laughs> been him and i agreed that your cocktail hour had the best food that we had all 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 week long i love it i agree I mean, first of all, I think Delmonico's does an exceptional job. I mean, I was in Vegas for six nights, and I think I ate there three of them. And I just think I find so much inspiration in that restaurant. I It's just awesome. So, great. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. I'm sorry the food sucked elsewhere, but <laughs> it happened. And it didn't suck. It was just like, I, I like, no, you know, like, man, Hey man, I, I mean, it's not like I went starving or anything like that, but, um, um, I will say that I, I did go to, Oh God, where were we? It really doesn't matter. Not at Delmonico is the point. And we were at a cocktail hour and there was a, there was a shrimp skewer and, uh, I ate it and someone else ate like half of one. And I was like, yep, that's not cooked at all. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> so I was like, "All right, well, that's that's enough of that." So I'm gonna go. I was oh, like, gross. I went straight to the bar. I was like, "Can I have some tequila?" Because I gotta burn. I gotta burn that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awful. There's nothing worse than being in a public spot like that around people, and you put a bite in that you know is bad. Yeah, could be chicken, could be shrimp, could be an oyster, whatever it is, and you just, you know, that's that's one of those few moments where I really have no shame. And I will spit it out immediately, regardless of decorum, because <laughs> it's it's just not worth it's not worth what's going to happen. Oh, to yeah, later. it's not worth the penalty. Yeah, for sure. It's um, yeah, it was unbelievable. I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> that's a problem. So, um, <laughs> but all good. So um, I have to say, like, OK, so going back, I mean, did you pick the menu out or because I, I know you and Emerald and the the manager of gel monica's are all like go way back and this has been a long yeah. standing partnership like do they pick the menu for you do you pick it this year um we worked together on the menu but we really didn't change much from last year to be honest with you i mean last year was just so good that um you know i think there was one thing that we added this year that we didn't have last year the blue cheese stuffed dates because that was fucking yeah, that's it. That's holy it. shit they were good yeah bonkers but like you know the chicken and waffle, I mean, that's, if you don't eat one of those, it's really like, like going to Vegas and not, and not walking the strip. I mean, it, mm -hmm. you don't go to Delmonico's and not taste this chicken and waffle, uh, nor can you leave without tasting the banana cream pie, uh, although we didn't have dinner that night. So, but we generally menu um, was consistent. They did an amazing job. The wine bar that we set up, um, Dylan picks and it's generally features wines, um, who support the Emerald Legacy Foundation, uh, as Ferriotego does. So there's a lot of kind of, um, 
inside baseball when you when you look at that relationship and there's just so much reciprocity of of support uh we're very fortunate to have that relationship that's such a good feeling too um you know that that uh you know when when things kind of full, go first the full circle like that i'm 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 a sucker for stories like that because it's just like um i think that's that that really goes to show like truly like what what this what our industry is all about like the cigar industry is very much about helping people out i think and it's it's just about relationships and stuff like that so it's it's just really the entirety cool. of the Ferriotego story is a full circle story i mean in so many ways whether it's factory relationships distribution partnerships retail partnerships i mean when you look at just how everything has evolved and where we are today in this moment there are so many loops that have been completed and are now kind of headed around for another time around it's uh it's just incredible yeah i um the you know the more the more time i spend with you michael the the, the more i appreciate again that that aspect about this industry like it's all about relationships and stuff just because you've you've been able to build like such a network of you know of yes of course friends but uh, uh just an a you know this almost a charitable is not the right word because it's not like you guys are you know all of you guys are running charities and stuff like that but it is very it's a very charitable network if that makes sense i think that I makes think- sense I think that's what I'm trying yeah, to say. Whether it's whether it's within industry or external, if you look at the relationships that I'm fortunate to have kind of forged and jumped in along the way, um, they all tend to be people who genuinely are rooting for the success of others. And I think that kind of um, proactive generosity of just goodwill not necessarily not financial uh fundraising but but spiritual fundraising rooting for people and 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 supporting those who help you along the way that sort of generosity cycle is um you know i feel like it's just as much work you could build your company any number of ways i've just been fortunate to do it this way and it's working yeah i it's it's beautiful so we're gonna get we're gonna get a little bit into that here in just a second so um why don't we it looks like you've already lit lit up so i'm gonna go ahead i normally ask my, my guest to choose Vegas. oh really yep oh man uh no because uh i i did not do that because of, of a little saying that you coined earlier this week that i'm going to repeat or later on but uh uh, this is not my this is not my first cigar since Vegas, but I'm excited. Normally, I ask my guests to choose, but we're I'm going to go ahead and go with the uh, Ferriotega Sumo. So, the, um, the torpedo size you uh, and you have it. There's four Vitolas, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Correct. So we got the there's the Corona Gordo, Corona Gordo, Robusto, Torpedo, and Gordo six by sixty. Just for cool. and I'm I'm joining you with the uh, Torpedo. Nice. Did you, well, how, what kind of cut did you put on it? Straight. Straight. Yeah, I do mine at a slight angle just to create a little more surface area. Smart. I really love, I really love the, the smell on the foot with this cigar. Coop said you were into smelling feet. 
Yeah. I, I, I'm into smelling all, all kinds of things. So <laughs> listen, I'm I'm a big believer in smell it, dry smoke it, touch it, and then light it. But there's so much to learn before you actually smoke it. There's so much to appreciate. There's so much to pay attention to. You know, um, I really appreciate when people take a couple extra minutes to to pay attention to all the work, not not just like the last bit, which is the flavor. Yeah, the uh, the aroma. I'm toasting the foot a little bit. I'm letting the aroma kind of kick in a little bit. That's kind of unique. That's got some uniqueness to it as well. I'm digging there, that. I, it's very difficult to innovate and and create and and um, you know really develop unique new flavors and experiences oh yeah and uh because at the end of the day they're all a bunch of rolled up brown leaves i mean let's face it there's only so much you can do but i i really spend a lot of time finding areas where you can create unique and for me that's really in aroma and mouthfeel and texture and then how they relate to flavor and strength and body and so I, I always appreciate hearing your reviews and your notes because I think you really kind of thoughtfully look for um, the work outside of just flavor. So aroma is super important. And for me, the body and texture that this develops from the first puff, um, I think is very compelling and invites you to continue on. The uh, the early reviews that I've heard from this because it, it was it was put on the market a little bit before the trade show and everything. I hadn't had it. This is my first one. Um, and uh, the early reviews that I caught from people too were, uh, and uh, forgive me, Michael, they weren't fanboys of yours or anything, but they were they were like, oh, that's good, it's good. So I was like, oh, well, that's great, fantastic. I it was oh, fanboys. I don't know if we're at fanboy level yet. Uh, hopefully not. But being in the booth and we were very busy the, the whole show. So um, it was hard for me to interact with everybody. Um, but we were trying to get everyone to enjoy the cigar. And it was really great whether people came up to me directly or even just overhearing a comment here or there. But it was typically within the first inch or so of someone firing up where they would stop, take a look at it and just go, this is really good. That's, that's the best review you could possibly get. I I have to imagine, and I've, you know, I've had this conversation several, I guess, over, I would say easily over 200 times considering how many shows I've done. Um, and, but it still never gets old hearing about that, that experience though, from someone who's actually created something that I'm smoking or someone else has smoked and you did be able to see that reaction had a very candid conversation uh, Two of my, my favorite interviews on this show. I get asked that question all the time were uh, my first interview with Alan Rubin, my second interview with Alan Rubin. Cause it was, it was two captured two periods of time. You know, the second one was just a couple of weeks uh, before, uh, before uh, the sale to STG. Yeah. And to, we kind of took a stroll down memory lane and he talked about how he, the first time you saw his, cigars on a shelf and he saw a customer buy it and smoke it and what that experience was like to him. And it was really cool to see him 
go down this nostalgic path and kind of remember that what that was like and i have to imagine like you know i've you know i have never created something like this like you have like he has and others and stuff and it's just it's got to be this just unbelievable feeling of like surreal uh surreal nature and just pride and nervousness it's just got to be a mix of when you see it in the wild it's um it's a tough thing to explain when you just see someone enjoying your stuff i mean now it's also easier to see you know when you because of social media and other stuff so if if even just looking through feeds when you see someone posting a photo of something you created in a meaningful moment in their day and bragging about it that's that's the same feeling you know um but when i started we didn't have those tools and so i had a similar experience seeing someone i was at a cigar bar in florida and i think we were i was there ahead of a meeting or something so we went to this cigar bar and the cigar bar itself was not a customer at the time. And I saw a guy walk over to his locker and take out a box of timeless Supremes, timeless Nicaragua at the time, and walk back to his table and put them down, open up the box and everyone took a cigar out. And I thought for sure someone was setting me up. Like I really thought someone had like planned this. And so I walked right over to say hello to them. And they were like, can I help you? And I was like, that's my cigar. And they're like, no, no, these are my cigars. And I was like, no, 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 I, I made that cigar. And he was like, you know, couldn't, wasn't tracking at all. And uh, so I just introduced myself and said, I worked for Nat Sherman. And that was the second blend I had ever done. And I, the first time I'd ever actually seen someone not at Nat Sherman buy it and enjoy it. And it was awesome. That, it's it's got to be such an incredible feeling. It's so exciting. Yeah. And it sure doesn't get old, I'll tell you that. Absolutely. We're going to dive right into that. So let's get into tonight's major point, which is always brought to you by the people. Yes, cigar people, people who know everything about a lifetime of service protocol, protocol cigars, more than just pool parties and good times. Well, maybe it is. But behind the fun is a motivation for service, a motivation for giving back from the original Protocol Blue to the latest release in the Lawman series. Phoebe Cousins Protocol has always been about honor, passion and yes, the people. It's what their life's work has been and always will be about. Power of the P Protocol Cigars. So, Michael, as we mentioned, we've lit up the Suma, Ferriotega Suma. The newest yeah, route. Prior to that, if you've <laughs> not had Protocol, support Protocol. I love Juan. He's such a great guy. He's so passionate. He's good for our business. I love that he supports this show. And so I want to spend another 30 seconds. His cigars are delicious. And if you do not know Protocol, you need to go find them. Okay, now that's enough about Protocol. Let's talk Suma. <laughs> well that's uh like we said we lit that up um first couple of puffs in michael i gotta tell you like we were talking about those you you mentioned it right off the bat when we we're like it's kind of hard to create something really truly unique and i won't say that i've never had these flavor notes in the first couple of inches but it's it's something that i don't have too often and it's it's it grabs your attention a lot like right off the bat because it's it's interesting it's balanced and it gives your palate something to to kind of like latch on to. So this so so far right off the gate, fantastic. I got to tell you though, it's got to be it's got to be those extra couple of days in the UPS warehouse, right? I mean that has to that has to absolutely do that. That is a that is a confidential aging process. That um, you know, Ferriotego does not cut corners. So if you really <laughs> want to, you know, 
put our money where our mouth is. 24 hours of hot box aging in a UPS warehouse <laughs> really does wonders to even out the humidity in a very magical way. Oh, man. Uh, it's a good thing I'm so go with the flow because, boy, stuff like that doesn't stress me out at all at a trade show. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not a touch. Not me. So when were, when were you supposed to have and when did you end up getting them? You were supposed to have them, I'm assuming, probably Thursday or Friday, and you got that there Friday. Something. Yeah, they were supposed to be in the shipment. And um, so background, we were setting up our booth. The whole reason we were at this show was to talk about SUMA, to put it in people's hands, finally a core line to join the Elegancia and Generoso. I was so pumped to just, I mean, I was going to carpet bomb that show floor with SUMA. <laughs> and as we're setting up and we're getting organized and uh, we're kind of pumping ourselves up. And I was like, all right, tomorrow, everyone that walks in, we cut and light a Suma. And then I'm looking around. I'm like, where's the Suma? <laughs> Where the hell is the Suma? And uh, there was a computer glitch that backordered the Suma and did not put them in the order. So we overnighted them from Florida and we found it at noon, Friday, Las Vegas time. So that was three o'clock Friday, Florida time. Thank God there was someone there that could pull them, pack them and ship them overnight for priority Saturday morning delivery, which is an 8 a.m. delivery. And when we tracked it, it was still at the UPS station Saturday morning. And they uh, said it just didn't make the truck. Sorry about that. We'll drop it off on Monday. Jeez. Which then some profoundly unchristian things were said <laughs> um not by me but i heard them and uh i appreciated the effort and actually i mean incredibly we stopped by the business center sunday morning and they had been dropped off so unclear when they made it there maybe sometime on saturday but either way we had sunday monday and tuesday with suma and uh every single cigar got cut lit and handed out beautiful So we, we decided to, uh, and in during one of those conversations where I was handed a Suma and we were talking about uh, your latest release, uh, you coined a phrase that had me in stitches and has, I've, had, I've repeated it several times, Michael, because it's hilarious. And you're like, hey, here it is. Smoke it. Fuck your clean palate bullshit. Light this up right now and smoke it. That's right. Um, it was in a moment of passion yeah. and excitement because I was, was so, because we just got them and I was so excited and I wanted you guys to taste them. And I don't subscribe to this clean palate bullshit. <laughs> not, not that it doesn't exist, because there's time and place for clean palates. But um, I find that assessing a cigar from the perspective of enjoyment should not be done on a clean palate. It should be done on a familiar palate. Okay. And the majority of even the, the, the greatest sommeliers and, and winemakers who I know um, who taste, when they are, if they're blending or if they're creating or if they're learning, then there's something to be said for a more neutral palate. But if they're, when it gets down to some of that final assessment stuff, it's always on a familiar palate. And I don't know what a clean palate is anyway. I mean, is that is it minty fresh after you brush your teeth? Do you not brush your teeth? 
I mean, how does one get to clean palate? For me, like even blending, it's not like we sit in a in a cigar factory with you know unsalted crackers and seltzer magically creating these blends we're drinking coffee and scotch and eating and drinking and soda and water and it's just that's how we taste things all the time so i i i find that it's always better represents the intention of this when you enjoy it familiarly right i think that you didn't listen to me and you didn't smoke it and so it's all right I know. I'm, I I I wanted to apologize for that, but I I also wanted to I also wanted to smoke the cigar with you on my show tonight. So that was and because I'm such a disorganized mess, I forgot to even reach out and send you something. So oh, I'm yeah. glad I'm glad you waited. It was worth it. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um. But in but true to form, I did I did smoke uh, a few cigars today, so that I did, wouldn't Good. have that clean palate. And and I thought as a fun exercise, I texted you earlier today, and I was like, hey. As a as a as a tribute to the fuck your clean pot bullshit, we're gonna bring several drinks to pair with our cigars so that we can have a mix masher of palate and everything. So uh people have probably noticed that I just popped up in a bottle of wine. Uh it's uh from it's from the the vineyard that uh that I've featured on this show before. It's the uh, Grape Creek Vineyards, it's based out of here in Texas. It's their 2021 Grand Rouge, which is uh a unique blend of Tempranillo and Merlot fancy yeah it's kind of juicy it's a little fruity like really kind of blueberry forward a little bit of leather note too and some like floor i'm also in wine mode to begin this Uh, is uh, a pinot noir from uh, a guy named dan costa who has a new wine label called convene and it's uh sonoma i think it's russian river oh nice monster pinot I I'm a big fan of Pinot from uh, the Yamhill Valley in Oregon. Yeah, like that's delicious. That's kind of my go-to Pinot Pinots and stuff. But the Rush, Russian River Valley is fantastic stuff. Um, do you know what? Do you happen to know what year it is? I didn't look. Uh, well, he just started, so twenty. I think it's the twenty nineteen vintage. That was a good year. That was a good year in California. Eighteen or nineteen? Yeah. Whoops, sorry. I've also got a cup of coffee. Nice. Do you have some seltzer? And then I have some scotch as well. Um, some it sounds like a cocktail. What do you think that would be? Like equal parts coffee, red wine, scotch. Uh, not good. Never mind. Yeah. So it's called a chronic problem. That's what that's yeah. what the cocktail's called. Uh, this- yeah, I, got, <laughs> I got a little uh, Knob Creek single barrel rye. That was uh, a barrel pick from my friends at Napa Cigars in Napa. Uh, great shop. They have a beautiful bar. And I also have, just in case, a little Harlem Standard bourbon. And that is uh, 111 proof. So no better way to finish an evening of sipping and conversation than 111 proof bourbon. Definitely. Yeah, the uh, scotch I'm drinking is uh, Buna Hobhen. Uh, it's labeled that most people probably aren't familiar with in this country, but I was, I was in Scotland a few weeks ago, uh, before the trade show and, uh, 
uh, one of the, my bartenders suggested this one, and I got it, and I really enjoyed it. And it. So, um, not a lot of age to this one. It's a little bit younger, but it's a nice, a nice, easygoing scotch too, which is cool. So, good. I'll be drinking that later. Um, right now, I'll just enjoy my coffee and wine, and let those two offset while I smoke my sumo. So, uh, I love Sean Miles. Uh, Mitch's comment: the uh, the cocktail is called acid reflux. Good call. <laughs> that's that's a good one um so, so michael go let's again to talk more about the suma uh here this okay like you as you mentioned this is the first uh the newest core uh from uh, under the fairy otago name and line so we have the eleganci and the generoso which are annual releases but ongoing but they're just they will have annual um i guess Annual yeah, main, uh, vintage main difference is Elegancy and Generoso are made once annually. So 21s, we made a set number of Elegancy and Generoso, put them in market. When they're gone, they're gone. There's no reorder until the 22s were released. 22s were released. We made more of them. Um, still one size in the two blends, in the travel humidors. Out they go. You can order them while inventory remains but once the 22 is sold out the 22 is sold out and then we release the 23. in the case of suma suma is just like timeless collection metropolitan selection um, and the majority of handmade premium cigars on the american market where they are made in regular production throughout the year based on your procurement plan and however demand um, makes you forecast, right? So as the brand grows, we'll make more of it. But the intention is, of course, to blend it consistently um, and to keep it in market uninterrupted in the four sizes. So the, um, like, I think the I think what's really interesting about this is like uh, what I really liked where you went with it is the fact that, um, you know, you created this this authentically new blend and it really more it really I think it really fits well under the Fairy Otago line because like everything else you know uh, under the Fairy Otago brand you know Timeless Metropolitan as you mentioned a second ago, those are all legacy brands you know that if that that you have that you have brought over and brought back. Whereas like this, for example, is something new, just like Eleganci and Generoso were. So it, it kind of fits yeah. really well under that portfolio. Is that is that why you went that direction rather than, say, putting this under Timeless or something? Yeah, I mean, look, Ferry Otego is our flagship brand. I mean, we are super proud to have Timeless Collection, super proud to have Metropolitan. Those are blends that people have depended on, you know, as long as almost 30 years with um, with the host um, and with the Metropolitan Connecticut and Maduro, obviously timeless. Those blends are important to me. Those are my first projects. So carrying on that work and restoring those to market was a very important part of the Ferriotego story. But make no mistake, it is a Ferriotego story. And moving forward, we will certainly continue to grow and pay attention to and 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 support timeless and metropolitan because they are near and dear to our hearts and and uh and they're great 
But Ferry Otego is the flagship brand. It's the halo under which those brands exist and will grow. And flagships need core. The, the thought behind Elegance and Generoso was really to do something thoughtful and different first, but also something that was um, an, easier, an easier pill to swallow from a launch perspective when you consider that we, as a new company, put nine blends into market in, in 60 days plus the Eleganza and Generoso. Mm -hmm. And so knowing what a, what a big lift that would be, not just for, our, for us and for our factories, but for our partners, we thought it made the most sense to lead with Eleganza and Generoso. Two SKUs is a very manageable um, placement for a new brand. It's a very easy story to tell. So it, it's easier for our retail partners to explain what Ferriotego is when there's just one size, one concept, two blends, and then allow Timeless and Metropolitan to reestablish their roots in the ecosystem that is the humidors throughout the country. At the same time, of course, then working towards what would this core line ultimately be and how does it fit? And then when do we, when is the thoughtful time to release it? And so we thought um, after two of the releases of Eleganza and Generoso that it would make the most sense to do it at this PCA. That's fantastic. I, I, uh, I think it's, I think what was clever about the blend and the name process too, and this, cause I think this caught most people off guard off the get, but if you read, if you read past the name, and actually understand what you were trying to accomplish. It kind of makes sense. Uh, Suma does not, despite what the binder is on this cigar, does not stand for Ferriotega Sumatra. No, sir. Um, so talk a little bit about the name and why you, why you selected it for your first core. Every time you release something, it kind of is, at least for me, it is a summa moment, meaning that summa in Latin is a synthesis of the body of work to date. It's sort of the, the, the sum of all things so far, an embodiment of that. And, you know, I think I create like an artist, you know, I'm a, I'm a drummer. We've talked about that a lot of times. So there's always this desire to get better and this desire to, you know, play better grooves and write better songs and 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 just be a better be a better musician. And it's the same with this. But you don't forget the stuff from the past. And sometimes you still you still have to play the stuff from the past the way you played it. Um, but you're still trying to evolve and create new things. And so this to finally have a core under the Ferry Otego name. Suma really represents precisely what this is. It's a blend that is um, obviously unique within our portfolio. When you light this up, it tastes like nothing that is available within Metropolitan Timeless or Ferriotego today. But I also believe that it's, 
its uniqueness extends beyond the framework of our portfolio and extends to the walls of the humidors and retail stores throughout the country. I believe that, that this SUMA is, is, a, is a true embodiment of certainly my work, but what I've learned in industry and what I've tasted in industry in the last, you know, now 24 years in the business, um, those are summed up in this project. I liked how um, when I first read about it, like you know, you talked about this, you know, some Suma being a body of work, and you know, I think that's, I think that's apropos. Well, you, you know, one can say like, well, that represents any blend that anyone puts together, but I think that's the point. You know, not to put words in your mouth, Michael, but like, but, like, but I guess it depends. Let's face it, there are lots of products that are brought to market to grow a business. Mm -hmm. to add facings, to get momentum, to get more share, like all of those, all of those things. Um, the, the typical economics when you're running a business is you scale. But the why, the intention, I think, is different. And as an artist, particularly, you know, I'm a, I come from a, from a jazz discipline. When you look outside of mainstream music, the the release of an album is less about selling albums and more about about an update to where we are in the curve of this artist's creative career and i think that's the way i approach our projects is less about you know it's been it's been a year we need another album we need another hit we need another it's less about that because the body of work is out there for people to enjoy. It's working in the studio and finding that unique sound or that unique hook to a chorus, whatever that thing is that when it finally lands, people are like, man, you know, I remember the last album and I still love that album, but now I've listened to this and these are the noticeable differences that I, that I hear and appreciate as far as the evolution of this artist's creativity. And, uh, and that's, that's, the way I, that's the way I approach this, which may sound completely ridiculous to, you know, premium cigar consumers, but, you know, that's the curse of an artist is, is that desire to be better at your discipline. And that takes a lot longer than just trying to sell more albums. Well, I think there's so many parallels, you know, you know, Coop and Dave Burke have the, the cigar jukebox show and there's so many parallels between music and cigars anyway, when you think about it, like there are some that, you know, again, not to, not to steal your trademark, Michael, but there are some that are timeless that just, that just always bring back this nostalgic, you know, wherewithal with it, you know, this, this experience, you remember where you were when you first smoked it, you remember the, the way it smelled, the way it tasted, the way you felt. There's all of that. There's the one hit wonders, right? You know, there's yeah, the one, yeah, and there's, you know, and then for the people who are, are privileged enough to, to put a, to make this a career and put, you know, 20, 30, 50, 
multi-generational years into it you know it's you know it it um it has this i've this said effect. this a lot but i don't know that i've said it on this on with you um but i was you remember back in um the early covid days i used to do these lives like yeah. early on the on the instagram live thing yeah and i would talk with different people not cigar people I talked to a couple of cigar people, but just other just successful people. And I would just have a conversation. And one of them was a very famous bass player named Christian McBride. Love that interview. That was great. Oh, it was, it was really fun. But it was in that interview that I had this moment where I had this realization that premium cigars are to tobacco what jazz is to music. It's probably it's one of the hardest musics to play. Um, it probably pays the least is the least appreciated, the most misunderstood, um, the hardest to do consistently. <laughs> and yet, if you are one of the lucky few who appreciate jazz, whether you're an artist who performs it or whether you're just a consumer of jazz who listens to it and loves it, when you find other people who appreciate that art and speak that language, it is a kinship that is far more intimate than people you've known, you know, your, your whole life. And cigars are very much that way. When you're, as you said, privileged enough to make a living at it or privileged enough to just discover the hobby and appreciate the work that goes in, appreciate the nuance and the flavors that can be developed and you speak the language. When you see someone enjoy a cigar in a park on a bench across the, the street, you know, you know something about that person far more intimately than people in their life that don't understand just how valuable and important this is. And there's, there's just, there are very few things like that, like jazz, like cigars, like wine to some extent. Um, I, I just think we're, we're very lucky to be able to participate in any way in this industry, making a living yeah. as a consumer, whatever it is. It really is, um, it really is fortunate. You know, I've had a, a lot of coworkers because, uh, you know, my day job and then a couple of people even at my church today uh, were like, hey, it looked like you had such a great time. Trade show. Man, like there's like this. It's like a whole world. And I'm like, yeah, it is. But it's like a small world. And it's really interesting. You know, I, I was telling my my kids about like they're like, well, what did you do all day? And and, you know, my oldest especially knows about smoking gagars as he likes to call them and uh but i was like you know i i met with friends i met with friends because that's that was the one of the funnest things i've ever my son has ever said to me he's like we we're driving home from school one day he's like daddy i want to i know what i want to be when i grow up and i was like awesome tell me he's like i want to be a zookeeper like mommy i was like dude that'll make her so happy and he's like but i also want to do what you do and it really occurred to me in that second i was like okay, what is my son's impression of what I do? Cause it's not like I, you know, I'm not a construction worker. I'm not a lawyer. I don't have, you know, I'm just in sales computer software. So, and I said, son, tell me what, what, what is my job? What do I do for a living? And he's like, he's like, Oh, you smoke cigars and talk to your friends all day. <laughs> just kind of what I do. I love it. I'm on, I'm on zoom all day. Pretty That's much. all it is. Yeah. So, talk to your friends. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I want to do that too. I'm like, great. 
cool. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> That's great, I, man. It's, it's nice. I mean, look, I think we have to be careful, obviously, because this is this is an industry that that falls within a category um, that is not one that our kids should be bragging about in elementary school and middle school. Yes. And so on the one side, it's important to educate those kids that are, that are, that see it, you know, we're obviously not doing anything that would cause them to be attracted to the, to the product itself. But even, you know, when they see daddy and his dad friends, Oh, you're going to come over and smoke cigars. But what I appreciate is they, they all think it's gross. Mm -hmm. They all think it stinks, but they also see the, the camaraderie and, um, and fun that is had around this. And, and I think they, they see that and appreciate it. I don't know if they necessarily understand it, but it's certainly something that I think resonates with them. And that's important, you know, when you're making life choices that you can find something that you love and you can make a living. And even though it's not particularly conventional by any means, mm-hmm. um, that there's still a pathway to make a living unconventionally by pursuing something that you're passionate about. Yeah, it's it's really important distinction, too. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to put like any thing around it or backpedal at all but it's really like to your point though it it is about education my son very much knows that it's for grown-ups uh here to your exact point yeah he doesn't he's not a fond of he's not fond of the way it smells uh in fact his favorite part great his favorite part is when i'm done with the cigar so that he can see so he can trample on it that's one of his favorite things that he likes to do so <laughs> takes my Make old sure ones out, out of ashtrays. Yes, when it's out of ashtrays, <laughs> loves to do it. So, but that's yeah. No, he, it's. I, I think I think those are all those are all important important points too, Michael. But I think that what's really cool too, like you said, that they they see that it brings people together, and that when we bring, and it, that's again to kind of take us full circle to be a. I guess our theme for tonight, like go back to the top of the conversation when we're talking about what Ferry Otego has done and the relationships that you've cultivated over the years and stuff is this, this, this incredible network of, of people that just really help each other out and stuff, which is cool. Very cool. So, so, um, to, to get back to what we're talking about with, with Suma in particular, um, I wanted to ask this question because I, I understood why you, put this again under the fairy tale line you just talked about that as well and articulated it but my question also was is it even possible because of trademarks is it even possible if you wanted to create something under timeless or metropolitan or host is that even possible with trademarks like to create a an extension under those brands okay i i I didn't know if there was any limitation there whatsoever no no okay wide open okay stay tuned nice um the uh the blend about this so if we could get just a little bit of wrapper binder filler we don't do that much of this on the show but i thought it was really interesting too the, the double ecuador ecuadorian yeah. corojo uh and then ecuadorian sumatra which again the cigar is not named after on the binder and then dominican nicaraguan in the fillers correct yes heavy dominican uh, heavy nicaragua not I, I shouldn't say heavy not not a 
probably, probably about 50-50 Nicaragua. But when you think about typical Dominican cigars, particularly the ones that I make that incorporate Nicaragua, it is generally not dominant Nicaragua. It's typically one, one variety, you know, one contribution. But this has a few. I, uh, I'm going to take a stab at this too. And, and if you don't want, if you can't answer, don't want to answer. That's fine. It, there's some, there's a really nice sweetness though, coming off of the cigar. I, I'm a, and I'm, I'm willing to guess that some of that Nicaraguan is probably Jalapa. Cause Jalapa is known for its kind of sweetness. So if I was, if I'm taking a stab at it, if you don't want to share Michael, that's fine. I don't think I have to go back and look at my notes. I'm, I'm pretty sure there is not Jalapa in the filler. Okay. Um, but I think the sweetness, is it a taste or is it a texture? Because for me, there is, like, this doesn't taste sweet and it's not dominant on the tip of my tongue where sweet things generally impact. Mm-hmm. But there is a viscosity to the mouthfeel of this blend that is silky, syrupy, um, that feels like something sugary on your palate which to me i found when we made the move from dominican corojo to ecuador corojo having that double ecuador influence and ecuador being known for some of that silkiness um that's where i found that real viscous sense to the mouthfeel to really come out and shine and that may not be what you're saying at all. So my apologies if I just completely no, screwed up. No, actually, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'll follow you along there because I think I, that was something that I was going to talk about was was the uh, was the silkiness of the smoke. It does coat the palate. I guess that's where that sensation is coming from because you're right. I'm not getting it on the tip of my tongue. Where I am getting like the wine, for instance, I can taste that right off the get. So. Yeah. But like even before I had some wine where I was just drink when I was just smoking this with coffee, I had that kind of that kind of sweet effect but it's not like some tobaccos too like we're like broadly for instance has that kind of rustic bittersweet bittersweetness to it yep um you know where it's just kind of you know rich uh and you can take you can literally taste it on the tip of your tongue so no i i'm i'm with you on that that makes sense now for me this is much more this is this is texture that's that mouthfeel lingering viscosity it's fatty almost it's like when you eat a delicious steak properly marbled and that that texture that coats your mouth with that ever so slight fatty slickness you know that is what this has my opinion yeah no this is this is a very rich cigar and again, it's not rich in the sense of like, like we were talking about, like you bite into a huge, like sugary dessert. It's not that kind of rich. It's just, it's just very flavorful and very flavorful. But at this point, I think that's kind of indicative of my style, you know, that, that I don't, there are enough cigars that will make you feel them on the market that are great. I mean, you know, I can, I'm inspired by a lot of them that have an intensity that whether it's whether it's deliberately there via 
nicotine or whether it's a byproduct of purely the, the fortitude that they're trying to create in the blend through flavor. But that's just not my style. I think every blend I make, there is always this balance of body, mouthfeel, flavor, and tempering ferocity at all costs. Um, I want you to feel the cigar in your soul. I don't want you to feel it in your stomach or in your head, you know? Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not like you said, like it's not a nicotine bomb. It doesn't hit you that way, but it's just very flavor forward. It's very rich. It's very, like you said, there's, there's a, there's a, a way that this kind of just tosses, you know, ping pongs around your palate a little bit and just, uh, you know, it just lingers in a really nice way. Even the, even the retro hail doesn't, it's not a long retro hail. I'm a big fan of long retro hails, but it's, it's, it's not short but it's like right in the middle. It's like, it's a, a nice little sweet spot for you that where it can just lingers just the right amount. But I Is think it, that's, that's one of the clearest indications that the tobaccos themselves have been cured and fermented properly, have been appropriately aged so that what is what is coming through your nose in a retro are the nuances and subtleties that make the cigar complex. It is not the ferocity of the tobacco that I find distressing when I when I put it through my nose. And and I would like to think that that is a real point of differentiation for a blend that is arguably this full bodied for a blend that is this rich and dense in mouthfeel and texture and weight. And yet through the nose does exactly what it should do, which is highlight those nuances and subtleties. What I really like about this, I'm past the first third, I'm in like halfway through the second third at this point already, which I'm surprised I'm smoking this fast. Um, but it, I guess it's indicative of how enjoyable it is, but it, there's this, this, there's been this nice transition at this point into a different, different flavor components that wasn't getting into that first third. Um, you rarely see that. I think there are complex cigars that have like this roller coaster ride a little bit that kind of carry over certain notes. And that, there's certainly some of that here, but like there's a really distinct dis transition right now to a, to a to different flavor components that are, that's really nice. It's a nice transition. Sometimes there's abrupt, it's like, oh, you're smoking. And then all of a sudden, like no one wants a huge chunk of char flavor note or, you know, acid. You know, I believe so much in in storytelling, and you, you do that when you write music. You do that when you perform. You do that in plays and theater. You do it in writing articles. There's got to be a journey. You know, you you need something that's compelling. You need a crescendo in the music at some point. You need a bridge. In a, in a good song like there's got to be movement to to make the story worth continuing and i you know it's uh i think it's a through line in in a lot of the blends that i've done even if you look at the the, the timeless blends they never end the way they began and I, some people don't like that some people like a cigar that you light up and it's just straightforward all the way through um Metropolitan is probably the closest to that. Um, more old world in style, 
less about complexity and nuance and more just about delivering what you want, when you want it, all the way through. But I think part of that is the evolution of the artist. And, and you know, you get a little more eccentric. And, and part of it, too, I think, is as, as a creator, you have to keep yourself interested, you know, and challenge yourself and find new ways to express your work. And so mm-hmm. being able to craft those moments in a cigar where, where the story gets more intense or goes in a direction you didn't think it was going um that's an important part of the stories we're telling is Ferry Otego for sure absolutely well you spent a lot of time down down at Quesada which is where the cigar is made uh and over the past year you could I and we knew you were working on something just because you were uh, again you were kind of documenting the journey without telling us about it um which was kind of cool to kind of cool to watch and I, I really like your creative process too just because you know, you, you, you documented it in a way that's not like verbose or over the top. And, you know, you're not, you're not talking about a lot of hoopla, you're talking about process and you can see it, you know, in the way that you document it with like photos and video that you do and stuff, which is really, which is really cool to enjoy. Now, I know you've got several partnerships in this business and everything. Was there a reason why uh, Sumo was a good fit for Quesada and not Placencia where some of your other cigars are made or? Was it just how it worked out? No, I mean, there's always, I have blends in evolution in all three factories. So Placencia in Nicaragua, Quesada in Dominican, and the uh, affectionately known as the Camacho factory uh, in Honduras, which is called Agroindustrious. There's constant creative work happening in all three factories, playing with blends, exploring. this one was specifically started in that in in the Casada factory and was just further along and fit for what this project was meant to be right. so purely purely stars aligning yeah i have to imagine you were you, i knew you were you weren't going to tell us like you were putting all your eggs in one basket uh, so to speak but i was just interested if like is it like the so the way that cigars come together, Michael, for you, you know, especially since you have the opportunity and the privilege of working with, you know, as you said, three pretty amazing factories and <laughs> they all have incredible tobacco. Is it, is it the, the tobaccos themselves, the way that, you know, the blends start to come together or, you know, like you wouldn't, what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, there, is there, you would never attempt to make us, is is there a world where you would never attempt to make this, this cigar in another factory because they just don't have whatever fill in the blank, so to speak, to, to make this blend what it is, what we're smoking. The way I create is not write a blend on paper and then go source the materials and the place to go make it. It's not like, uh, it's not like I'm designing a piece of machinery and I've patented the design of how I know it's going to go together. And then I need to go find a manufacturer that can make it to my specifications. It's a, it's a completely collaborative process. Um, But if I look back at the work specifically with Placencia and Quesada, I think it's fair to say that if you go back to like 2011, 2012, 
with the original Timeless collections, for example. And if you look at the four blends of Timeless, two are made in Dominican with Quesada, two are made in Nicaragua with Placencia. None of them taste like their factory of origin, particularly at the time that they were developed. So if you think of the Timeless Prestige 2012, that did not taste like a Casada blend on the market in 2012. Sterling in 2014, total departure from everything. If you look at Supreme and Panamericana, whether you consider, it, should you recall, the Placencia blends of that era, 2012, 2014, that was before the very successful launch of the, of the Placencia namesake brand in market right. today. The, the blends that we developed together tasted completely unlike anything that came out of those factories. But arguably, we're using the same tobaccos, mm -hmm. right? They're theirs. They're not mine. I didn't bring my bales with me down there and said, <laughs> you know, I want you to use these. We work together collaboratively. But I think it comes down to the intention of the artist. And that's, that's what is so crazy about our business that you can take the same tobaccos from the same place and just by adding your touch adding your interpretation and, and your bias and your your consideration and what's what's more or less valuable to you uh nets a completely different experience and so using the same pantry in the same kitchen I create, um, together with them, of course, mm -hmm. we create flavors that are just unique and different. But I would never work on a blend in Dominican and then say, I want to make this in Nicaragua because there's no way you could replicate the work that's been done, you know, leading up to that moment. So that's, I mean, that's why when we, when we brought Timeless and Metropolitan back, we didn't even consider other manufacturing. Right. Because you have, to, you have to rely on the people that know your palate, know the way you think, know the way you taste, know the history of the way those have tasted in the past to, to deliver that experience on your behalf. Well, I find it even interesting. Like, let's just say you took these same tobaccos. Let's just say you took these same tobaccos from Quesada, right? The same, same tobaccos, everything, right? And you just move them to Placencia and you said, here, yes, if I ship one bale each of the tobaccos that requires, that this blend requires, and I sent them to Placencia and said, here's the blend, make, make it. them for me. They would not taste the same. They would not taste the same. That's, that's, the, no rem way. that's the remarkable thing about it. That's the incredible thing. It's, un it's unbelievable how that works. That's why when people change factories... Like they can say the blend's the same or something like that. And that's just the blend you know, can be the same, but the yeah. experience is likely yeah. not. Yeah, exactly. Thousand percent. But that also depends on the blend. So it would be easier to move old world, more linear, less complex experiences from factory to factory. Um, a blend like Metropolitan Connecticut, for example, that was developed in the 90s. Granted, we put a little polish on it with Ferio, but nevertheless, that's a much more mainstream, very traditional type of blend that might be more easily 
not replicated, but produced in a way that is more familiar. But there is no way a timeless blend could be moved or a Ferriotego blend could be moved. And the same the other way. If I tried to make the, the Generoso at Quesada and Placencia shipped all the tobaccos there, it wouldn't work. <clears throat> It's crazy. It's crazy how that works. Like, it's unbelievable to me. Like, it, it, this, the subtleties in this business, you know, I, I had the opportunity to, to sit with uh, Hanky Kellner uh, when I was down at Davidoff a few years ago, and he was talking about, we were, we were sampling um, tobaccos from, the sa- it was the same tobacco, it was the same seed. And it was, they were both Dominican because they were literally grown m- miles apart. And we're not talking hundreds of miles. We're talking like five miles apart. And you were same seed, same vintage, same same priming, same factory, just just different geography from microclimate to microclimate. Yeah. And it's like different soil, obviously, too. So like it it completely changed the the, the taste of the tobacco. It was unbelievable. Like I couldn't believe it. I just did a panel at this trade show and the panelists were Christian Aroa. Nestor Placencia Jr. and Manuel Casada. And it was a blending seminar, but it was really blending from the perspective of the farm and how the farm influences blending later. And Christian was saying that he has a farm where the, the, the same tobacco from the same farm, just at different areas of the farm, net out completely different characteristics later. So he has to take the, the, the actual plot within the farm into consideration for what ultimately that, that tobacco will yield from an from a experience standpoint. It's bonkers. It is. That was such a great session, too. And I thought it was, it was I think it was really special, the fact that you kind of moderated it as well. Because, um, Michael, you have this, un- this uncanny ability, and you do it every year, too, or the last few years, at least at the Great Smoke with uh, you hosting that too, you have this way of of understanding from understanding from someone like Christian Iroa and Manuel Casada's perspective, uh, laying out the questions to them to for them to be able to answer and then to convey that message to the layman in a way that I haven't really in in, in a way that's it, it, that's 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 truly remarkable because I think that's a that's a really fine line because like I, you like I'm a tobacco nerd like I'm a cigar nerd I'm a cigar geek like I'm here for it right like I could listen to all three of those guys talk for hours and and never get bored and pick up you know 98% of what they're talking to but like the crowd that they were playing to as much as we were all as much as we're all in the, the industry there's a, there are varying degrees of of understanding and tobacco intelligence I'll call it and so for you to be able to to moderate that and relate all that, you know, incredible knowledge. Um, and them too, I want to give them credit as well. It wasn't just you, but you had, it was, it was just, a, it was just an incredibly well done job. So I just wanted to say that well, to thanks, you. Man. You know, I'm, I'm very lucky that at 43 years old, I'm still young for this industry, but I've been in it since I was 19. So I've got 24 years in, I think that's right, right? 43, mm-hmm. 19, is that 24? I'm a drummer, not a math major. 
somewhere around there. <laughs> I've got 24 years in. I'm so fortunate to have worked for the people that I've worked for, and then to have been around people that were generous enough with their time to to teach me along the way um, and allow me to to just shadow and learn and ask questions and and uh, so to have a conversation like that with those guys, I mean, here's what's crazy about that panel. Christian was the very first cigar factory I ever went to in 2003. I was 23 years old. And Christian's, I think he just turned 50 or 51. So he's got- Yeah, he's 51. Seven, eight, seven, eight years on me. So we're pretty close in age. So he was quite young when I met him. And so we got along great as- just young guys and I could soak up a lot from him and he was willing to share it. Manolo, I went to Dominican Republic in 2004 and became no secret, you know, very close with his family and spending a lot of time there. I met Nestor somewhere around 06 and then started working closely with him in 2011. So being on a stage with them and being able to moderate a discussion like that was unique for me because these are three of my of my biggest mentors uh, in the truest sense of the word, but they're also people who I know the way they speak, I know their factories and their processes a bit more intimately than perhaps other folks. And so that conversation was an easier one, I think, for me to help lead just because of my, my uh, experience and, and awareness of how they work. And I loved the fact that we were able to talk about stuff, as you mentioned, it's a pretty mature audience. I mean, these, this is not Cigar 101. Mm -hmm. these, are, these are, you know, varying degrees of expertise, but 100% expertise in the room. I thought it was important that we talk about things that were more likely to be new for the majority of people in the room, which is why we focused on the farm and soil and you know seeds and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. it was a blast man that was that was one of the fastest 50 minute conversations i have ever had i hope yeah. they recorded it because i want to go back and and watch it to actually retain what was shared i i think they did that probably be a question for pca but i i it would be a shame if they didn't because i think that it, it was it was very magical in a way i I, I've told this story several times. My first, my first PCA or IPCPR, as it was back then, I we walked by. I think it was uh, Gla Galera's booth, and it was off to the side. And Hochi Blanco, Manolo Casada, and Hanky Kellner were sitting, and nobody was around them. It was just those three guys. Uh, and like, what, like, got to be a fly in that wall in that conversation, right? Just like, I mean, the the knowledge is just getting floated around and tossed around. I mean, they could have been talking about the cheeseburgers they had for lunch for all I know. They but probably like were. If, yeah. But I mean, if they at all were dipping into the, to the aspects of tobacco, it was just incredible. So we had the, so we mentioned at the top of the the show too, about your, the cocktail hour that you hosted and, and thank you again for the invitation, Michael, for that. Cause that was wonderful. Not only was the food and the wine wonderful and the company and, um, but we had the, um, a few of us in the media, uh, John McTavish, Sharon Loomis, myself, and Ben Lee, had the opportunity to to stand and and have a conversation with Manolo Casada for you know about forty minutes, which was just awesome. Um, Never gets old, man. 
it never does. Like we talked, I mean, there was a lot of cigar talk, but there was a lot of, you know, other chatting too. And Manolo actually poked fun at me a couple of times, which was funny. He's like, Hey, do you ever smile? And I was like, I'm happy, man. I'm just tired. <laughs> so, um, but it was, it was, uh, you, you just don't, you don't get that kind of opportunity. And, and for, for, again, to the, to the point of the panel, that that's such a rare point, especially for some of these guys who don't travel as much as they used to earlier in their careers. They don't do a lot of in-store events, if any, anymore, you know, what an incredible opportunity that was for retailers to hear, you know, hear from these folks who yeah. you know, make some of the, the finest cigars in the market, which is, you know, not saying, no, you know, it's nothing to, nothing to belittle because it's, it's incredible. Um, so to, to piggyback on that, to, you know, to go into PCA in this experience, other than the whole uh, dreadful, uh, eight, you know, hot boxing in a UPS warehouse with your new cigars and everything. Um, I felt like the, I wanted to get your take on this, Michael. I thought the vibe of the show was very much like the last two years. It was very positive. People were really happy to be there, which I couldn't say that honestly in 2019. In 2019, there was a lot of in the aisles, so to speak. There were a lot of, there was a lot of moaning and groaning and it just, but it just didn't feel, I mean, I was still in cloud nine because I was still relatively new at the time, but um but the the vibe was still pretty positive. How did you, what did how, what did it feel like to you in comparison to the last two years? I agree. I think what I loved about the last two years was the fact that because of COVID, um, there were a lot of people who stayed home. So, if we take the the cons to that scenario, of course. You've got, well, take all of the, 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 the COVID effect on our industry. There were no deals to be had because there was no inventory to be had and everything was pre-sold before it was shipped and business was booming. Uh, so the, the show took a slightly different, had a slightly different reason to be. There, because there, there were no major deals. There also was no significant inventory. But what you also saw was people opt in to being together. And so that created a very pre-qualified um, sense of optimism to set the, the temperature for that room in a way that historically we just didn't have. So you had everyone wanted to be in the and anyone who wanted to be in the room was in the room. Right. And that felt great. And I remember we had that discussion in 2021 um, specifically because I had a booth with no product. I mean, we had an empty booth and yet it was such an overwhelmingly positive show because of the people who were there who just wanted to be there and support and they wanted to support their friends and companies in the industry. And they also wanted to support the industry itself. Now there are some very good reasons why people weren't there. And some of those were health. Some of those were economic and financial. And some of those were straight business. The other thing that you can't ignore was that leading up to 2019, there was a lot of um, dialogue back and forth between the association, between retailers, between manufacturers. Um, 
And I think it's important to distinguish that I would not necessarily call them conflicts, although I think sometimes they get characterized as conflicts, but nobody within, I don't know of a single member in good standing that is advocating against the handmade premium cigar industry and its successful future. Where I think there, there becomes more heated dialogue is the points that we agree on and the points that we don't agree on. And then we tend to get in our corners. But unquestionably, there is way more that we agree on as an industry than we disagree. But the, the amplification of the points of disagreement <clears throat> were really um, blasted way louder than the points of agreement. And I think that created for a very tense 2019 show. 2020 would have been an interesting show had COVID not occurred because it would have been theoretically a normal show with the major absence of several uh, big vendors. But then COVID caused that show not to happen at all. And then there was a slow crawl back. So I think what this show represented was, was this perfect snapshot in time where you have to recognize the work that has been done since 2019 and the progress that has been made since 2019 as an industry. There's been a lot of conversations and a lot of, I think there has been as much stating of opinion as there has been listening to others. And I think that is clear when you look at show attendance. I'm also fortunate enough to be on the board mm -hmm. of the PCA. So I know for a fact that when you look at the stores that were represented, the badges that were uh, uh, signed out, the number of rooms and nights that were reserved, all of those statistics, and I saw Jay on here earlier, so Jay, keep me honest. They are all basically second to our record year as an association. I forget what year that was. I thought the show was great. I thought it was filled with people who wanted to be there. I think there was a tremendous amount of optimism. And I also think it was, it's the first show where this many people have been together in a moment of clarity for our industry from a regulatory standpoint that we have never had. Mm -hmm. Although we're still waiting for Meta's final remedy to his last ruling, there, has, there is clarity in, in the playbook and we've never had that. So I think you saw a lot more innovation in new product and that brings a sense of optimism. You had people who hadn't seen each other because they hadn't been to a show in two years. That brought a new sense of optimism. Uh, you had people who got their businesses in order over the last two years, implementing new point of sale, new route to market. Um, and so overall, I think it was just a tremendous show. And frankly, I think the March show is going to be even better in New Orleans. Uh, excuse me, in Vegas. Do you think it was... Uh... Do you think it was a uh, a huge positive to, or like actually, I'll I'll, I'll even I'll 
I'll be a little bit more forward on this question, Michael. I'll, I'll say, I'll say it was a positive, and you can disagree with it if you if you want to. But the the positive um, presence of STG in the form of Forged and Altidus back uh, with with a booth presence, not like necessarily in the size and capacity that they've had before, but the presence. Like, I feel like that was a really big positive um, positive step. And even though they weren't there officially, having Hoyt and Nicaragua there and Drew Estate announcing that they would be returning in March, um, to your point earlier, kind of brought together the the community like in a way that we haven't seen in four years now. I have two perspectives. The first is um, in the in the two examples that you just shared. And by the way, we're in a similar boat. We we are a brand that is an independent member in good standing of the trade association. And to be clear, all of the companies that you mentioned, including those that, that historically have not participated the last couple of years, are all members in good standing of the trade association. And I think that's a really important point so STG and Drew Estate um, and whoever else wasn't there, they were all members in good standing of the trade association. They just said that they weren't attending the trade show. And there's a million reasons why people didn't come to the show, retailers, vendors alike. So that notwithstanding, I think it's important that we don't conflate all the issues into one. Every major industry participant is a member in good standing of the PCA. As it relates to the trade show, um, there are some companies who have come out and said that they will be back for 2024. I think that is great news. It's the biggest opportunity for our industry to be together. And so the more of us that are together is great. That said, no one knows how to run their company better than the people who are running their company. And so if there are still people who decide that they aren't there, retailers, vendors, I, I'm sure there is a reason for them not attending. But in the case of Hoy de Nicaragua, in the case of uh, Forge, specifically in the Alec Bradley Room 101 brands, uh, and even in the case of Ferriotego, we are all dependent on distribution partners who represent us throughout the United States of America. And all of us had our distribution partners, personnel in booth, supporting the sales and growth of our businesses. And that's, that's what it should be. Yeah. So I think that's, that's great. I think, you know, saying that some of them were back this year I think is a, is a little, is perhaps overstating it. Um, I think they were there they were there in support of the brand that uh, that was the member and the and the registered booth holder, but all of it is positive. So I don't want to. That's not disparaging. That's not taking anything away. And I am really optimistic. Again, I think that the March show is going to be a record-breaking show for this association. 
March of 2024. It certainly is. I mean, it certainly is setting up that way. Um, you know, I found, you know, obviously your brand being one of the exceptions here, Michael, what we found too was that a lot of brands, it almost seemed like we're holding back a little bit, you know, in comparison to trade shows in prior years, there wasn't, uh, um, there certainly were new releases. This year? Yeah, this year. So there certainly were new releases again, Suma being one, you know, for you guys, uh, in specifically, but like other companies had them as well, but it seemed like, uh, it seemed like a year of, Again, more limited editions, which have become popular year over year. And then line extensions were very popular too. It seemed like in a lot of ways, companies were holding back. I mean, it was, you know, we were we were 14 days out from the trade show with a lot of the releases that ended up being announced hadn't been announced yet. So it was, it was you know, it was getting pretty... Uh, you know, it was getting pretty, uh, pretty iffy there, kind of, go, kind of towards the end, um, <laughs> towards the end of the the, the home stretch, if you will, where um, a lot of a lot of companies just decided to work on what they have, and that's and that's perfectly within their prerogative. I'm not necessarily just dis- like being disparaging about it, but it just seemed like a lot of brands tended they they seem to be holding back a little bit, and I'm hoping, you know, and you can certainly weigh in on this. I'm hoping that's they're they're setting themselves up for a for a, a huge 2024 show in March. I, um, someone asked me, you know, like, how am I preparing for the 24 show? It's only six months out. Is that changing the way we prepare? I don't, I don't plan our work based on trade show. I plan the work based on the work and when it's ready. The trade show for me, the number one goal in that show is to have as many conversations as possible about our relationship, what is working well and what can we do better? And how would, can, would you consider a relationship at all for those that we're not doing business with? That's the priority. And if it happens to align with a launch as it did with us, that was of course exciting. Um, But I think we, we have gotten a bit distracted with using the show for launches and products and deals. And we've gotten away from the fact that this is a convention and trade show, not just a trade show. And to me, the convention piece is far more important than the trade show piece. When you have, let's say 70 or 80% of the industry's population in one city, in one building for three nights. The convention for me is, is the critical piece. And so that's how I, how I track the success of our show is how many conversations did we have? Were there any uh, conversations of, that, were, that were of note to you that, were, that really kind of stood out or that have stood out over the years where like, man, that, you know, that, f- that fostered, you know, this relationship, that fostered this opportunity that never would have happened or transpired if it hadn't been for the trade show and convention, to your point? 100%. Every show, every show, there's always one where, um, where you connect in a way that's meaningful that hasn't happened in the past. And one, one stand out in particular to you? I know, I know I'm putting you on the spot. Well, I apologize. Actually, uh, our friend Jay Davis, 
Jay was a um, is a great retailer for those of you who don't know Jay Davis, Blue Smoke in Dallas, and um, he's got a great shop. He had sold some Timeless and Metropolitan in, in the past. Did not do particularly well for him in Texas for any number of reasons. Um, and I bumped into him the night before the show started in 20, I want to say it was the 22 show. And, uh, and we just had a great conversation and it wasn't even a conversation about Ferry Otego and asking for a sale. It was actually a conversation about retail and, um, you know, just business in general. And I remember it was, it was, it was the night before, I think opening day of the show. And it was just such a great chat and Jay and I've known each other for years, but we never really got to know each other uh, that way. And that was a relationship that, that clearly um, set, cleared a path for what has become uh, a tremendous partnership. I've done events with him in Dallas. In fact, it was the first, the first trip I made to do events was to Dallas and his store was the first one that we walked into and he's been a tremendous partner. And now we both sit on the board together and we spend time together. And, and, uh, but you know, those, when you can sit in front of people and have a conversation, not a, not a pitch, but just a conversation and get to get to know one another in a way that is more meaningful than wrapper binder filler and margin and deal. Um, those are, those are the conversations that create the relationships um, that you and I love and that are unique to this industry. The opportunity to be on the board. Um, I know you, you were voted in last year, you know, for the past year you've been, you've been, sitting uh a sitting member what 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 kind of perspectives has it uh has it offered to you that you would still be i guess in the dark about if you were not on the board that can that has affected your i guess your perception and your overall business practice I'm not sure necessarily from a business practice standpoint but from an association standpoint being on the board gives you a different level of um, transparency and insight into the work being done. And it really highlights uh, just how great the, the, the PCA is and the work that they do. I mean, I was fortunate I was on the TAA board. That was also very illuminating. Um, but, you know, the, the PCA is not a five-day event. The PCA is a 365 day a year advocacy association for our industry that now is extending beyond the United States into, into global efforts. And um, I think we are on track now to do a better job communicating and highlighting all of the work being done. PCA just hired a guy named Antoine Reed. Um, who is a, a great contributor. He's a great writer. Um, Brilliant writer. He's been a guest on my show. He's Love awesome. Him. Now he works full-time for PCA. And I think having him in the association, in a new role, dedicated to outbound communication of what we're doing and amplifying the message, not just of the association, but of our members, I think is going to be a huge 
benefit to the entire membership and industry because I think it will, to a great extent, um, make clear the the work that's that's being done because they're not all they're not all wins. You know, we've we're, we we now live in a in a uh, a press release mentality. Someone gets a new job and they are pleased to announce, you know, on their LinkedIn page this new headline. So everything is a headline, but but you have to look at the work. And, um, you know, I, I was actually, I was at my high school a few months ago and I came across this quote and the quote is that progress should be measured um, not by the proximity to the destination, uh, but the from your point of origin. I'm messing that up. I have to look it up again. But it's really, it's not about how close you are to getting where you where you think you want to be, you have to measure your progress from where you began. Mm. And when you measure progress from where you began, you can recognize the wins. You know, I mean, even though it feels like you may be moving slowly, you are still further from your point of origin. And the PCA is so far beyond the point of origin. And you can take any point of origin, take 2019. As you mentioned, 2019 to today, there's so much progress that has been made as yeah. an association, as an industry, hopefully as individual businesses. There's a lot to celebrate there. Yeah. Being on the board has provided a little more um, visibility for me. I mean, I obviously, I mean, in the 90 years that the organization has existed, I've been a part of it for such a small fraction of that, that it seems almost inconsequential. But in the short time that I've been a part of it, there have been so many vast improvements. You know, Coop's been covering the trade show for over 10 years, and he even talks about that too. And, you know, like, like you say, we all have, there's always, there's always ways to improve in criticisms and things like that, but it's, it's the overall when you look at the broader picture and what it's where where we've come from to your point to the point of origin it it it's all that more impressive you know to i, I did want to get your thoughts on this because this was kind of a and since you're on the board and 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 you, and you brought up uh Antoine's incredible work with communication um there has been a contested point about the trade show covering press releases the way that media does you know, cigar aficionado, cigar coupe, half wheel, et cetera, right? And almost, uh, almost in a, in a competitive state. Do you how do you, how do you think of how do you view that? Do you think that uh, it dilutes the message at all by them covering product releases in, in the press release way, or do you think that it only adds to it, or is it to a different audience? You know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Michael. Your thoughts? I haven't. I have not heard criticism of it. Um, I've been busy for the last few months, so maybe I haven't been paying attention, <laughs> but I can't think of another industry that doesn't have an official trade journal that doesn't cover the relevant news of its members. I mean, I, I, that, that doesn't strike me as a negative at all, at all particularly as an, for an industry that is so underrepresented um, adding an, uh, an authorized, uh, internal platform, you know, it's easy for, for people that have relationships 
to be able to blast out to to the the members of the media. But how does a new company even even begin to get coverage? Right. You know, you you just started a cigar business. You just opened up a retail store. You want to participate. You've got something important to share. You send it to the to the more sophisticated industry media and they say, I never heard of this guy. I'm not going to cover it. You know, if you're a member in good standing, at least you're you're guaranteed a platform for some equal coverage and representation. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't see how that's competitive. I mean, I don't believe there's any advertising or any kind of, you know, um, anything of that nature. I think it's purely um, finding a way to more effectively amplify the message of of our industry in one place. Okay. I'm I'm surprised that's met with criticism. Yeah, I think it's the uh, the um, the the point of contention that I've heard from it is that that it's it's not necessarily that the the negative is that that it's like another it's another competitor in the room necessarily. It's the it's the source of the information where like companies in the past who were previously more likely to spread spread the message across the board are you know when they've delivered it to like say directly to the pca they that's that's where it stops we're like well hey i already gave my info to the pca therefore that's that's good enough right so um but you're talking about individual if if a company has an announcement and they think it is sufficient to deliver that message to the pca perfect for me I think that's brilliant. I would encourage everyone to only tell the PCA and then that way I'll get more coverage from everyone else. Oh, okay. I was like, please tell me you're being sarcastic. <laughs> okay. Thank you. All right, cool. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I was like, I was like, Coop's about to, Coop's about to kill me right now because <laughs> Michael Herklotz is going to change his, his, his press communication. Altogether. No, no, I, look, you're, it goes back to relationships. And when you have a relationship like we have, I wouldn't consider, I don't like the idea of exclusives in, in general. It doesn't, it, it, we're not talking about earth shattering news here. You know, we're somehow, you know, major exclusives are, are somehow, uh, uh, you know, particularly valuable. I, I see it as you have an important message to tell. You share it with the media with whom you have great relationships and that message then gets either copied and pasted for all to read or gets engaged with follow-up to craft a more meaningful story. That's what the media is. So just a couple of other questions about the PCA and we'll get into some fun segments here, Michael, to, to, to wrap up our evening. Um, But uh, the, um, to go back again to the trade show specifically, um, you know, this was, I thought this was an interesting show. Um, you know, it's the second year that Guy Fieri has attended um, and been a, been a, been a huge, uh, you know, been a huge part of it. And also a really great opportunity for, for people to, to congregate and, and to meet someone outside of the, you know, he's been a part of the industry for two years now, but uh, to, to meet someone outside, outside of the, uh, the realm, so to speak. But then there were, there were other people on the floor, you know, Chaz Palminteri released a cigar this year. Um, Michael Cudlitz was just walking around. Uh, noticed that 
and I was like, that guy looks like Michael Cutlets. And, and I sure enough, I looked at his name tag and it, and it was Michael Cutlets. So I was like, that was cool. Um, but he's also in the industry. So, yeah, I, I was going to, so you, you know, everybody, what I, I, again, I, I saw him wandering the aisles and I was like, and, and nobody was talking about him. Everyone was talking about jazz and guy and Ocho Cinco and everything, but <laughs> what, 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 what is his role in the industry? Since, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm like, I, he is a um, he's involved in the red phone booth, which is a bar kind of speakeasy bar model oh. popping up in cities. Right. Yeah. There's one in Atlanta. There's one in. Yeah. 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 OK. He's he's a part of that ownership group. That's cool. Yep. Oh, man. Yeah. That's a that's a yeah. A couple of my friends in Atlanta go there all the time and they they love it. So that's that's interesting that he's a part of that. Yeah. He's just wandering around like and I. that's why I, I didn't. I mean, I recognized him, but I was like. But it was really, you know, everyone else, Chaz and, and Guy, of course, had their their entourages and stuff. And Michael Cutlitz just walking around by himself, you know. Um, I mean, on the star-studded level, obviously he's below he's he's below those two guys. But it was it was it was cool to kind of just see him kind of meandering and stuff. Um, does Red Phone with carry Ferry Ortega? I don't. That's a. I, I'm embarrassed to say I don't remember. I I, I know that we were engaged with them um, back and forth. I don't. I don't believe they carry it at the moment. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to make it a point next year, next year in March, if he's there to, 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 to walk up to him and I'll, I'll fix that for you, Michael. It's okay. I'm not a paid employee. Uh, I'm not a paid employee. There's a a lot of DMS that can be sent right now. If you're watching DM Michael Cudlitz and tell him you want Ferry Otego at the Red Bull. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, You know, there was uh, another, um, component to that that I wanted to kind of get your take on just because again you have so many relationships outside of this industry that are even related to this industry right you like you a lot of a lot of your friendships are cultivated around cigars and everything you know to see some of these folks become involved uh in the industry directly by either having a cigar brand or being part of an ownership group or something like that um that has to be um that has to be a you know over the years especially as it's probably grown from your perspective that's that has to be a huge positive to see people taking an interest in this industry like to your point is the jazz of the tobacco world you mean from a from a from a celebrity standpoint yeah or just outsiders in general like i mean i think you have two different i've had a lot of conversations with folks over the last handful of years particularly as ferry otego is launched um with people saying you know something like oh this looks like a good opportunity you know i i should start a cigar brand i should open up a store i should open up a lounge i should do whatever like jazz if if you want to be a professional jazz musician for the money you're going to be profoundly disappointed. The scale doesn't exist in the industry to deliver the riches that you're looking for. Um, and I think largely that can be said for this industry. But if you, if you are, if you're truly a fan, if you're truly passionate for the category and you have you have a sense of reverence 
for the industry and its craft. And you're willing, whether it's investing your time, your money, your likeness, whatever it is, you're willing to put that up and participate in a meaningful way, then I hope you get welcomed with open arms. But for as, as many, um, let's say high profile folks that were on the floor this year, there are 10 times that number that are no longer on the floor mm-hmm. that have been there over the years and that are gone. Um, I don't know enough about those projects to speak intelligently about them. Um, but I've spent enough time with Guy and with Eric um, to really appreciate Guy's level of reverence and admiration and respect for the industry and his willingness to amplify a category that can bring a tremendous amount of heat for a mainstream celebrity like Guy. Um, You know, I give him a lot of credit for his involvement and advocacy for our industry. I really do. And, but whether you're, whether you're high profile or not, um, and as a, as an owner now, I, I have a very different perspective than I had in the past. Let me tell you, man, it's a, it's a big step to go all in and put your chips in the middle of the table on an industry like ours that is so misunderstood, mm-hmm. that is constantly an unintended consequence of legislation, regulation. Um, it's a it's a big risk. So polarizing. But, Look but at the when, Nick the Nick Jonas cover. It, the Nick Jonas cover on Cigar Aficionado, right? Yeah. I mean, what a silly, what a silly response. Here's a guy who absolutely loves it and was willing to to amplify and advocate his affection for this as a as a pop singer. I mean, that's a huge win for our industry. Huge. And the fact that it was met with such, you know, uh, I don't know what it was. Anger, skepticism, hate. It was- oh, so marginalized on both sides, like like from inside the industry too. Like we were like, you know, we, you know, Absolutely. you and I, but we as the, 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 the industry wasn't really thrilled about it too. They thought it was, no, you know. No, industry people thought it was a sellout and a joke. Non-industry people thought he it was, was a sin. Right. <laughs> and meanwhile, for him, it was probably, it was probably as exciting as a Rolling Stone cover. Because he's being recognized not, not for his work, but for his for his hobby. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I cut you off, Michael. I apologize. You were rolling. I, I just, you know, I had that thought about it. Like it was it, it, yeah, this this to put yourself on the line, like guy has, you know, like he told that story about you know, he he got his uh he got his star on the walk of fame and they said, What now? And that's the the cliche uh the cliche line to the person who's just won the Super Bowl and they're like going to go to Disney World, right? Well, well, his version of Disney World is like, I'm, I'm going to go make a cigar. But and... I give him a lot of credit, man. I really, I spent time with him at the Great Smoke. He came in Palm Beach. Um, I interviewed him there. He's, he's passionate. He's the real deal. And he's also authentic because he doesn't, he's not claiming to be an expert. 
He's not claiming to be a blender. He's not claiming, you know, any, he's not claim, claiming to be anything that he's not. He is a chef and he's a brand guy and he's a guy that loves smoking cigars and he wanted to collaborate on something and put his name on it and grow it. And that's what he did. And that's as far as his, as his self, self-claimed uh, um, expertise goes. Yeah. I, I give him a lot of credit. He's good for our business. And I hope the other guys are too. I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't meet Chaz this time around. And uh, although I'd met him years ago. Um, I was going to ask you couple, guys being New York. Of football players there that mm-hmm. have brands. I hope all those guys are in shops, doing events, going home, handing out cigars and talking about what makes premium cigars different. Yeah. With Ike Taylor, uh, he's been part of the Howard G uh, cigars uh, brand since the beginning uh since two years ago um and uh i've had the opportunity to interview him a couple times leon cersei was there of course my i i didn't have the courage i really wanted to ask i said how tempting would it be just to like go just run full throttle into the Sutliff booth and just full-on tackle ocho cinco one last time um but i didn't i really wanted to um but, i wish you had uh it's really funny. Leon Cersei is a, is a, is a giant of a man and he could clobber me with one swat of his hand, but it's Ike Taylor who, uh, who still intimidates me the most out of those two guys. Being uh, a jazz musician, I'm unqualified to know who any of these people are. I obviously don't follow sports. So I feel terrible when I meet some of these guys over the years and you know, I have nothing. I think they'd appreciate it though. So all right, Mike. Well, let's go into some of our fun segments of the night, and uh, this is a little bit later than we normally do it, but uh, but I, we were kind of rolling there on some of these topics, and I thought it was uh, so I didn't want to disrupt it too much. So uh, this is, of course, our presidential trivia segment, which is brought to you by United Cigars, uh, featuring Logic. Skip this one. Okay, <laughs> it's, mul- it's multiple choice, man. La- you're fine. And it has to do with your home city. So it's uh, featuring uh, La Giana Havana, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garoflo, the Firecracker, and the highly acclaimed Atabay Byron, and now Alfonso lines from Selected Tobacco. Smoke one today and start living united. So, Michael, which U.S. president other than George Washington was sworn into office in New York City? Was it A, James Garfield, B, John Adams, C, Franklin Pierce, or D, Chester Arthur? In New York City, John Adams. No, no, unfortunately no. not. You want to take another guess? No. Okay. It was Chester Arthur. Chester uh, Arthur. So after James Garfield's assassination, Chester Arthur was in New York, and he was sworn into office in New York. So he was, la- he was the last one. Um, George Washington and John Adams actually did reside in New York during office. Um, George, John Adams was the first to, 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 to live in the White House, but uh, the capital at the time was in Philadelphia, but there was like this, this back and forth between New York and Philadelphia until they actually settled on Washington as the, as the U.S. capital, where obviously the White House was built and, and John Adams and every president subsequently after that was called home. So, um, But yeah, Chester Arthur was the last president to, uh, to swear the oath, uh, take the oath of office. In this in the city of New York. So um I know it's more of your like adopted city. What uh you know over over the years and everything, what what have you come to and this is a really loaded question and I apologize. What have you come to love most about New York City? 
Um, it's probably the thing I also hate about it. Um, there must be a degree of struggle and survival to live in New York City. Like I really, unless it doesn't matter actually what what scale you're on. I mean, even even the richest of the rich who have mansions on Fifth Avenue still are still stuck in traffic at some point. Um, they're still overpaying for what they have. There's just a, there's a sense of struggle, which means that you opt in to stay. And particularly, you know, I moved as a 22 year old drummer. When you, when you move to New York, which is different than, than if you grow up there. But if you move to New York, you opt into that, to that struggle. And there's constant sacrifice. So you need roommates. You need, you're going to overpay in rent. You need to get an extra job. Um, so there's a, there's a sense of um, conviction. You know, whether you're moving for a finance job or you're moving as an artist or you're, you know, wh whatever drew you to New York, it's a goal to get there and then it's a goal to stay and be successful and make it happen. And, um, and so I think of the people that I've met throughout my time in New York and with very few exceptions, everyone is driven, motivated, um, has this, this reason to be that is all shared by this love of this crazy, ridiculous city. That's a complete melting pot of culture and cuisine and art and finance. And uh, it's just, there is no other place like it on earth. And that's a big turnoff to a lot of people. You know, I mean, if, if, if high population density and traffic and big buildings and, and high cost, all of that is just overwhelming. New York City can be a very overwhelming place. Um, but it was a place that I always dreamed I'd be. And so there, there, I don't think there was a day when I lived there that I didn't come out of the subway and have a moment that was like, I still can't believe I'm here. Now, truth be told, I don't live in New York City anymore and uh, I don't commute to the city much anymore um but things change and but my my love affair with the city has certainly not changed would if given the opportunity and again i know finances are probably a part of that because i know it's just absolutely ridiculous comparatively you know you living in new jersey as opposed to the city and everything would would you move back no no way If, if finances were, were not an issue, I might grab a place there and spend more time there. But um, I did it. I lived it. You know, the, totals, the, the total equation of my life right now doesn't afford me the opportunity to enjoy the city the way I used to enjoy it. I have a family. We've got, you know, we have other responsibilities. 
the 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 days of restaurants and bars and cabs home at 3 a.m. and and mm-hmm. uh, you know waking up at eight and doing it all over again, those days are over. You know, and and I don't long for them either. Yeah. I'm grateful that I had them, but I'm more grateful to go to bed at a reasonable hour and spend time with my kids and spend time with my wife, have a backyard, have a driveway where I can park my car. You know, I mean, there's like basic things that you don't realize um, you have to give up in the city. And a lot of that has to do with just the ability to moment's notice, be free and go do something else. That's very limited when you live in New York. Yeah. Go to bed at a reasonable hour unless you do my show on a Sunday night. So. Well, this time I don't have a flight the next day like I did last time, so I'm good. That's good. Um, I know we got a little off there, but that was our presidential trivia segment sponsored by United Cigars. Uh, smoke uh, Featuring, of course, La Giana Havana, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, the Firecracker, and the highly acclaimed Atabay, Byron, and now Alfonso lines from Selected Tobacco. Smoke one today and start living united. Um. You know, Michael, I, I, you know, in our haste, as we were putting together the show and then, the, you know, with the, the PCA trade show and everything like that, there is a question I normally ask my guests to supply. And you, of course, have been a part of this in the last couple of years. I've always asked my guests to spotlight a charity or a nonprofit of their choice. Uh, I'm going to take a cue from you. And I think that we're going to uh, we're going to feature the what you the nonprofit that you mentioned earlier at the top of the night. Um, can I make yeah. it? Can I change that? Sure. Absolutely. Um, I don't have a specific charity, so I need you to pick it because I didn't have time to research it. But I just found out uh, before I jumped on this call that uh, a classmate of mine just died from breast cancer. Uh, And she was a beautiful young wife and mother. And uh, I just think that sucks. So um, I would like it to be a breast cancer charity tonight okay we can certainly do that i uh i have a couple in mind i'll i'll put some i'll, I'll send some of your way this week and you can pick and we'll uh, just pick I'll, yeah so they didn't put anything up so just pick one but man we got to find a solution to this sorry for your loss michael that's yeah thanks that's it's tough news obviously you're obviously your age our age yeah oh that's awful just unbelievable. Too many young people these days. Just, you know, families growing, you know, families with growing, you know, kids growing up without their without their parents because of things like this. So it's just it's just off. Yeah, it just sucks. There's no other way to say it. So we'll uh, we'll be putting that in the show notes um, and you guys can check out the organization. Um, and uh, to Michael's point, let's do uh, let's do some good for that and uh, let's find a cure because. It sucks. There's just no other way to say it. But um, um, wanted to piggy that back that a little bit. Un, un, unfortunately, I'm sorry, Michael. I'm sorry for your loss. That must. It's kind of. This kind of. It's kind of shake you in a really real way when, especially when you went to school with somebody, and like you said earlier, you know, you're we're still young, and you get news like that. It's just. It's just yeah. disheartening. So. But we got to live our lives. You know, we need to enjoy life when we have it and uh it's all we can do you know no one's guaranteed tomorrow indeed were you guys close over the years or someone you knew really well and you know i wouldn't say super close she she 
she was a year ahead of me. I think she married a classmate of mine. Uh, but interestingly, her oldest daughter participated in um, my high school program that I've helped support over the years. And um, so we, we reconnected when her daughter went through the program and graduated. Um, oh. But yeah, it's just a bummer. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, wanted to go into uh, a segment that we've had some fun with over the, the last few months and everything. I call it this or that. And Michael, it's basically like a, a lightning round a little bit. I give you a choice of two things. Uh, some of these are cigar related. Some of them are not. Uh, and you just you just pick one. So. Uh, so let's start off with food. Uh, spicy or sweet buffalo wings? Specifically in buffalo wings, I have to go with the authentic buffalo style of uh, hot with Frank's. Nice. My wife is from Buffalo, and uh, I have been conditioned to appreciate the culinary uh, hometown favorite. Nice. So not you, super hot, but hot. Um, you want to know a fun and weird fact? Matt Booth hates the taste of buffalo sauce. So do I, by the way. <laughs> I, I detest it. But there is something about buffalo wings in Buffalo with a beer, with the blue cheese, the whole thing. It's ritualistic. I'd never order them anywhere else. <laughs> when in Rome. Houston wings in Buffalo. Yeah. <laughs> when in Rome. All right. Uh, all right. So specifically to wine, um, I was drinking a blend tonight. Uh, what, what, what wine did you pop again? What was the, you said Pinot. It was a Pinot. Was a Pinot. Okay. All right, so this is, uh, would you rather have a, a Syrah or Shiraz or Zinfandel? Syrah and Shiraz are synonymous with each other. Good, good trivia. Uh, I would go this gets tricky. Zinfandel can often be mislabeled and miscategorized and get sugared up. Um, Shiraz specific to Australia there's a lot of um, th there's a lot of tough wines that are labeled as Shiraz and so if by saying Syrah I might risk getting a Shiraz that is of the variety I don't like then I think that presents more risk but I think Zinfandel is probably the less risky of the two. So I'm going to go Zin. Final answer. Got it. All right. Um, would you, since you have both of them in front of you, this is going to be an interesting one. Rye or straight bourbon as it pertains to whiskey? Without having tasted them first, I would probably go bourbon. Because um, some ryes get a little too um, affected in their, in their spice. So th this Knob Creek does not go to that extent, but some of them just get like a little too Christmas cookie and, uh, <laughs> and I'm not in the mood for them. So I would go bourbon if it's just, you have to pick one. Um. As it pertains to hors d'oeuvres, 
Would you rather have a dish centered around caviar or around pate? Caviar. Why? I'm a fiend for both, so this was interesting for me. <laughs> um, caviar, you said hors d'oeuvre. Yeah. So that's where we're starting. And caviar, to me, has a freshness. It's light. Typically, the, the dishes crafted around caviar tend to be light and bright and easy and a nice place to get started. Little champagne, great. With pâtés, like foie gras, and it's just so dense and so heavy. Um, it tends not to stimulate my appetite. And I'm, I'm there for the main dish, right. not for starters. So caviar to me is great. Yeah. I'd also have it for dessert if I had my option. The deviled eggs, by the way, with the caviar was, was sensational. Delicious. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, okay, as it pertains to your name, I've called you Michael. Most of our relationship called you Mike on occasion. Which do you prefer if you had to pick? Have we had the name conversation? before on a show i feel, I feel like it's have. i feel like it's come up but I've, you've always been michael to me i've heard people say mike recently a little bit more often and so i've said I've, up, I've found myself saying mike my whole life i was mike until i got to college when i got to college um i more formally introduced myself as michael but everyone called me herc so i was right. herc all through college when I got to New York, I put Michael on my business cards. I introduced as myself as Michael, and I was, I've been Michael ever since. Now, that said, I, have, I don't care what people call me, um, as long as it's some version of one of those. Um, so when people call me Mike, I'm not, like, caught off guard. You know, I respond to it, but I feel more comfortable introducing myself as Michael um, and I think most people today call me Michael. Um, so I guess I prefer Michael, but I don't have a strong conviction either way. I prefer introducing myself as Michael. Got it. Uh, all things being even in the sense of like the environment is actually enjoyable. Would you rather smoke a cigar in the summertime or in the wintertime? So what I mean by enjoyable, you're not outside freezing your ass off or, you know, sweating to death, but seasonally wouldn't, when would you, when would you rather smoke a cigar? That's tricky. So you're at, you're saying, when do I want to smoke a cigar? Let's say in the comfort of the indoors in my favorite cigar bar. Correct. There is something about, the holidays and smoking cigars for me um, that feels a bit more celebratory than the summer. I love smoking cigars in summer. I actually prefer spring out of all of them because um, there's something hopeful about spring when the air turns and it starts getting warm. We have four seasons up here, don't forget. Um, but there is something about and especially, you know, I'll caveat this. New York City cigar bars approaching Christmas 
there is an energy in those in those bars that just cannot be matched. Mm-hmm. It is high octane, celebratory. Everyone's dressed a little better. There's Christmas lights and garland and wreaths and and it's just there's nothing like it. Yeah, there's this like Rockwellian thing to smoking cigars in the wintertime, especially during the holidays, to your point. Like it's just um it's almost well, kind of magical in if, sense. Especially if all things aren't equal and if it's brutally cold outside and it's been snowing and it's you know, if you don't have the opportunity to enjoy a cigar indoors on a regular basis, that is such a great moment when you reward yourself with being able to have a cigar indoors comfortably. Definitely. So being the artist that you are, I'm really interested to hear this, this answer. This is the last one. Would you want to be able to solve any math problem in your head or paint a masterpiece? Paint a masterpiece. hundred percent. All your, all your, all your business woes would be, Solve with the snap of your fingers in your head. All the back end stuff taken care of. I have Brendan as my business partner. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Put the burden on him. Yeah. (laughs) For for me, I find no joy in math. And I'm grateful for the tools that have been afforded us to be able to do the math. So I'm glad I know how to use Excel somewhat. I can use (laughs) a calculator in between. I'm glad I was raised when I was raised. So I know how to do math on paper that doesn't involve writing paragraphs and dots and squares. So I can get through the math, but to take something from your brain and then put it, transfer that in some kind of tangible thing uh, is it's the dream. It's the dream of every artist to be able to do that. And I can't paint. So if, if I had, if I was able to have that talent and, and visually create, I take that over algebra any day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to corner Brendan next trade show in March. And I'm going to ask him this question because I'd be interested to hear his answer to it. So, you know, I, I'll bet he would say the same thing. I bet he would. I, I knowing that I don't know him as well as you do, obviously. But I, I there's I have the sneaking suspicion that's what he would say. But I'll 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 save it. I'll ask him. I think that'll be fun. Brendan loves to learn new things and do new things, and I feel like that would excite him. Like he's really good at math, so he'd probably say, "I can already solve it in my head." There you go. I'll yeah, been there, done that. Awesome. Well, our next segment is brought to you by Pastania Cigars. It's everybody eats. If you if you always make sure that your servant's towel is bigger than your appetite, everybody will always get theirs. Pastania cigars is more than just great cigars made by cool people. They embody an attitude of gratitude and grit with Pastania. Everybody eats. So Michael, I want, so we've talked a little bit about food tonight. We've talked about food in the past um, as well. Um, what has been your best experience of eating with other people? This is a tall order knowing your background a little bit, but I wanted to see if we could narrow it down a little bit. Cause I think I'd love to hear a story from this question. We could do a whole show on this. <laughs> I mean, honestly, 
Well, there, um, there's a thought for next time we have you on. Oh my God. I'm going to have to like knock out a bunch of them and I, and I'm not good. I, so let's skip obviously the, the meaningful family meals and, and, you know, the last meals with relatives who are no longer with us and all those types of things. Cause those are very meaningful. I remember the first time when I was in, I moved to Boston, went to a steakhouse with now my cigar store friends who were significantly older than I was and had money, which I didn't. And we went to Abe and Louis Steakhouse and uh, it was a beautiful dry aged ribeye that came out medium rare. And as soon as it landed, I said, that's not cooked. And they said, it's perfectly cooked. And so that's an impossibility because I've had steak plenty of times and it's never looked like that. And they were like, okay. You've never son, had steak. Welcome. <laughs> and I remember biting into that steak and it tasted like no other steak I ever had. A, because it was medium rare and B, because it was dry aged. So it had all that funk. And the first bite I had, I was like, this is not for me. But then I got totally into it. But I remember the moment when I tasted it, it kind of shifting everything in my mind. And the fact that these adults were gracious enough to bring a 20-year-old kid to a dinner for that experience, uh, I will certainly forever be grateful for that. In 2002, I went to Club Macanudo for dinner with Avo and the general manager of Davidoff at the time, David Kitchens. And that first interaction with Avo was certainly one I'll never forget because obviously as a, as a 22 year old kid, Avo was a very generous and gracious guy, but he had a great relationship with David. I didn't have a relationship. And uh, so I was really just kind of there watching. There was a live band playing during dinner and as drummers do, I wasn't paying attention, but I was, it was a Latin band and I was playing clave with my hand listening to the, to the band play. And Avo looks over, fellow musician, and said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I apologize. I thought I was interrupting the, the meal. And he asked if I was a musician. And I said, yes. And it was at that dinner that Avo and I formed what would become a, uh, you know, over decades long friendship. Um, and then there's been a handful of meals that have been with chefs and high profile or not doesn't make a difference because I've, I've been really lucky. I've had, I've been able to eat with Emeril and Zakarian and, and Charlie Palmer and all these guys. Um, but in the occasions where they have prepared the meal and delivered it, there's just, that's a very unique connection. And then they sit and eat with you. Um, that's really something special. I mean, there was one dinner in particular with, with Zakarian that stands out at Lamb's Club. Um, and there was one dinner with Emerald that stands out that actually he didn't cook, but it was at Emerald's in New Orleans at Chef's Table after a... Um, Emeril Lagasse fundraiser and he invited me to join his family for dinner after the fundraiser 
And it was just like such a crazy moment sitting in Emeralds with Emeralds family at Emeralds chef table at Emeralds. It was, that was just bonkers. Um, but, you know, meals are so important. You know, they're just such a, there's such a unique moment in a day where you just enjoy something that is so simple. I mean, we're fortunate. Most of us are blessed to eat every day. Uh, mm -hmm. And so we tend to take meals for granted. But to be able to eat a meal like that with someone like that in a place like that certainly stands out. But we really could do a whole show. I mean, yeah, there was one night in Hawaii. In Hawaii, we used to do uh, this food and wine festival throughout the, the years. And I did it with Emerald a handful of times. And there was one night where we had spent a little too much time in the sun drinking Mai Tais. And by the time we got to dinner, um, we were both pretty overserved. And the, <laughs> uh, the fried rice dish that came out with this particular meal, the rice was not cooked well. And so it was like really hard. And so Emerald was spitting like rockets, like bullets, rice kernels at me during dinner, which <laughs> is obviously completely inappropriate, but it was also just so funny that I couldn't, I just couldn't hold it together. I was laughing hysterically that this guy was pelting me with rice bullets out of his mouth at dinner. And my wife is yelling at me and his wife is yelling at him and it didn't make a difference. That was also very funny. There's a lot of them, man. That We should do a whole show on that. We should. I'm going to table that for, for sure. We're going to do this. Uh, please tell me at one point when he pelted you, he said bam at least once. He never says bam. Oh. He hates saying bam. Absolutely hates it. It was his tagline once and like he was like, oh shit, like he came Over. up with then. Yeah. Unless, unless he's on TV and then he'll say it. But like the worst, if you see Emerald in an airport, do not ask him to say bam you are not going to get a picture you're not going to get an autograph don't do it no if i ever meet emerald my first thing is going to say hey i know michael Herklotz." there you go <laughs> that's, the play. that's the first thing i'm going to say hey that's the play we have a mutual friend um that's that's good that's exactly what i'm going to say all right um i'm going to change the set you've done this segment a couple times now um michael this is our uh our, our next segment is brought to you by asylum cigars refuge is more than just a physical place it can be a state of mind uh, some of life's greatest reflections can be found in our own personal asylum moments like these were made for asylum cigars so light an asylum and choose your refuge you know mike last time i asked you about a specific you know i, I kind of left it a little open-ended um but this time i want to be specific to ferry otego and i'm going to be even more specific to suma talk to us about that moment you, you talked about the creative process earlier in tonight's conversation about creating suma and the creative process that you take and the hands-on and collaborative effort that you partner with, with these cigar makers in this case, in Suma's case, Manolo Casada and the folks there and there at that factory. Walk us through the experience when you smoked it and you knew it was done. It was finished. Yeah. That it's was a paralyzing it. moment because you don't know. Like all you know is that version of it is spot on and that's after you know so i blend in six by 50 so we finally got the six by 50 
to where I wanted it. Then we said, okay, these are the four sizes we're going to launch with. We made those four and they did not taste like the six by 50. So then you have to go Vitola by Vitola and tweak to get them to be telling the same story. Once we did that, then they have to be smoked in the United States because they taste different. Right. So then we shipped them here and specifically the six by 60 was not the same. So we had to go tweak that. So there's a, I mean, this has been, I mean, just tweaking finals has been over a year trying to get it right. Then once you get it right, you know that what you're signing off on is one team's interpretation of this experience that they've perfected and done right. And then how do you translate that to production and trust the fact that they're all going to be good? You can't taste them along the way because they're not, it's not apples to apples. They're not aged. They're not, you know, the only, the only way you, you realize an endemic mistake is when it's too late. Uh, so there's so much trust that goes in, but the moment the six by 50 hit was like, okay, this is exactly the cigar that is Suma. Once the sizes hit in their interpretations of the story, when we finally put in the purchase order to say, these are the final formats, these are the final blend tweaks per size. This is the production per format. This is the date we expect it in. It's a great moment, but it is one scary moment because you just don't know how it's going to be. And then when they finally land 16 weeks, 20 weeks later with some age, you go and, and smoke them. And um, my reaction is always, it's not right. Like immediately, it's not right. Something's off, it could be better. But when you have other people experience it, not having gone through the tortuous process of tweak by tweak and blend by blend and knowing the generations that came before, but being able to experience it clean and get their initial reactions. For me with Suma, that was a great moment because the feedback was, was the closest to mine I think I've ever received. Like with Elegancia and Generoso, people loved them, but their experience with them was not necessarily the same as mine. What I found with Suma is that those people who had the experience and shared their feedback with me was straight in line with my experience with it. And so I had a, a very high degree of confidence that this is going to be a very successful project. And now with the success of its launch and being in market and seeing initial reviews, seeing people enjoy it in Vegas, I'm completely confident that this production is exactly what it should be. And now we'll work on next production to make sure it's the same awesome i'm i'm so i'm so proud of you michael i hope that doesn't come across as condescending 
the not the, at all the what a what a compliment man i appreciate it the uh I, I just put it down a few minutes ago um and uh true to form fuck fuck your clean palate bullshit because i've smoked some cigars today it cut right through those i was drinking you know i brought all different- i brought a timeless prestige especiales to smoke in the second half of this and yet i'm still smoking my suma torpedo and it's rare historically that i smoke cigars down this low but i'm just enjoying the hell out of it yeah i so. smoked mine pretty cool i i couldn't believe how fast it was going and it slowed down in the second half or maybe i slowed down in the second half and like i talked to you about that transition in the second third that just completely changed the profile of it the um the smoke was still that that viscous feel that you were talking about earlier on was still present but the flavors that i was getting out of it was just so much so different than the first third but not not in a not in a contradictory way like like i've had cigars that are contradict you know or contradiction like they're like i said there's complex and there's contradictory which sucks because it's like oh i'm enjoying this cigar then oh shit all of a sudden it's like i would like the cigar but it doesn't seem to go with the first part of it and it's like shit like i'm smoking two different things and it just it doesn't work this worked really well and and it was just a really wonderful experience from beginning to end i everything that i drank with it it smoked really well it was great with the coffee it was great with the wine which i'm not a big wine and cigar guy uh particularly um i really enjoyed the scotch with it too um it was just really 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 fantastic experience and um i think i I think i'm going to stick with my initial assessment when i when i was toasting the foot and I, i continued to take in the aroma as it kind of built and changed and everything the aroma is probably the most fascinating part of that. You know, you would like to say like, oh, well, God, so you didn't like the flavor? No, I just talked about the flavor being wonderful. But the aroma was so unique and different. Like I said, like I said before, it's not something I said, like it's not something that I haven't had before. But there's, it's so rare that it made it really stand out for me was the aroma. And I've really enjoyed it. Really enjoy. When I talk to whiskey makers and winemakers, um, they obviously want to make something that tastes great. But the 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 greatest compliment you can pay them is when you have the wine in the glass and you just keep smelling it and you just keep smelling it. And the same with whiskey in a glass, because that again it speaks to the complexity and the nuance and the subtleties and that it's more than just the thing in your mouth. There's more to it. And to your point earlier about having the, the, the development and change, that's also part of it. I like stories that are complex, that have elements that take you by surprise, but that once it concludes, there's a true resolution to the story. And you know, when you when you study music, it's the same thing. Like you have chord changes and, and progressions and it can be very intense but at some point it resolves into something that that puts you at ease um if if there is a way to do that in this that's what i hope to achieve is to create those moments and to create complexities and to make you pay attention to more things that maybe you don't in other cigars that you enjoy but that by the time it's over 
you are at peace and it's resolved and it has concluded that it hasn't necessarily left you wanting more that didn't finish, that somehow there's a, there's a question that's not answered. It's fully resolved and you just want to watch the movie again or listen to the song again or smoke another cigar again. No, I, I, I definitely can't wait to smoke another one, which is, Michael, I'm going to be honest with you. We were talking a little bit about the show, you know, being underwhelming in terms of like new releases and stuff. I didn't have, and this, this isn't, I don't, I don't want this to come across as an indictment of the industry because it's not, I know what Vegas does to cigars. I'm not an idiot. Um, a lot of the cigars I smoked, got Vegas quite a bit, you know? So for this cigar to be, you know, we were joking around about it being hot boxed in the UPS storage unit, which it was truth be told, right. but even for it to rest a couple of days and to have that kind of performance was incredible. Um, for one, two, I didn't really have a lot of cigars that I enjoyed at the trade show. And again, that, again, that's not an indictment of, the, the the painstaking hours and labor that went into them. I will certainly smoke them all again because I want to appreciate them in a more authentic uh, environment, so to speak. Um, but that that that's definitely a standout from the from the few that, that I've smoked and stuff. So I, I I mean, like I said, I'm very proud of you. You should be very proud of it. It's it's incredible, and I can't wait to smoke it again. That'll be a really great, a really really great return for me. I appreciate the feedback and I'm sure the, the Casadas will be as equally appreciative as I am. I mean, it's a project that I think we're all very proud of. And uh, look, the, the longer you enjoy cigars, the harder it is to really be moved by one. You know, I mean, uh, the same with wine for me. There are a lot of beautiful wines that I enjoy a lot. So it becomes harder and harder for me to take a sip of wine and be wowed because I've been wowed so many times. And so you, you continue to raise that bar and, and I don't need to be wowed. I, I'm fine just being appreciative, tasting something and saying, yeah, that goes in that category of really unique, beautiful, graceful, delicious, well-balanced stuff. But when there is an opportunity to do both and to put something in that in that category but to do it in a way that is that is memorable enough that you want to repeat it to have it be an experience that you can that you can taste in your memory and then be able to satisfy it by cutting and lighting that is a big win and i really hope that's what we've achieved i hope that's what we achieve with all of our blends um, I think we have certainly done that with Elegancia and Generoso, and I'm very confident that we've done that with Suma. Awesome. So that was our part of our Asylum moment, uh, brought to you by Asylum Cigars. Light up an asylum and choose your refuge. Michael, we've come to that uh, time in the evening. It's our last question of the night. Um, and of course, it is our Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust curveball segment. Fastballs or curveballs, it doesn't matter since the company's inception. Steve Sock has been knocking them out of the park. Eight consecutive years in the consensus top three. Congratulations to our good friend, Mr. Steve Saka. Michael, here's a question that I've been wanting to ask, but it needed time to kind of, it needed a little bit of time in order to it. And maybe I'm asking it a little early, but I just, I think it's a perfect moment in time with the launch of SUMA um, and this 
this veering direction of Ferriotego under the flagship brand of Ferriotego to ask this question. In 10 years, 10 years from now, in 2033, what brand do you want Ferriotego synonymous with? Do you still want it synonymous with, because a lot of people relate it to Nat Sherman, do you still want it to have carry that synonymous torch? Or do you want to be, do you want it to be compared to something else? <clears throat> so you, you loaded the question a touch. So before I answer the question, I do not believe that Ferriotego is synonymous with Nat Sherman today. For a handful of reasons. That's fair. Number one, Nat Sherman is another family's legacy. And I was very honored and privileged to, to work for the Sherman family, to create blends for the Sherman family, and to grow their business, work for Altria and Philip Morris too after the acquisition, uh, and continue to grow the, to grow the brand. But that story concluded in 2020, period, book closed. The Metropolitan and Timeless brands are a Ferriotego story, period, full stop. Timeless and Metropolitan are a Ferriotego story from this point on. And what has been interesting for me and, and um, rewarding, really, is to see how many people have discovered Timeless and Metropolitan only since 2021 under the umbrella of Ferriotego. And the, the Ferriotego brand has a very unique and different proposition than the halo under which Timeless and Metropolitan once lived. That is the Ferriotego legacy. And as we grow Ferriotego, whether we grow the flagship brand or whether we grow the other brands, Timeless and Metropolitan, or any other brand that we may launch moving forward, Being connected to a brand is such a powerful thing. As a consumer, there are brands that I love, not just in the cigar business, um, but in other businesses, brands that I love, not necessarily products that I love, although usually they, are, they coincide, but a brand goes beyond just your experience with the product itself. That's a blind experience. You can smoke this cigar blind, assess it for what it is and appreciate it for its complexities, nuance and character. But when you smoke it with this on it, that pulls emotion in a way that the blind cigar alone cannot. And it's my job 
or maybe just it's my goal that over the next however many years that we're fortunate enough to be in business that when you see this logo and you see cigars that bear that emblem and the words Ferriotego, that they make you feel something before you light it up. And that when you light it up, you want the band on because you, there are cigars that I smoke and I'll give you two easy examples, three easy examples. And they are the lowest hanging fruit but they're meaningful to me for maybe different reasons. Fuente Fuente Opus X, Padron 1964, Anniversario, and Davidoff. Those were cigars that I aspired to be able to purchase starting in 1998. And I can remember the first Davidoff I ever had was a short Perfecto. The first Padron Anniversario I ever had was the... Imperiale, I think it was called. And the first Fuente Fuente Opus X I ever had was the Fuente Fuente size. I can't necessarily recall the tasting notes from the moment that I enjoyed them. But I do remember the way they made me feel when I cut it, lit it, and fired it up after I had purchased it. And I felt like I got everything and more out of those cigars. It was worth every single penny, not just because of the way it tasted, but because of the way it made me feel in the hour that I spent with it. <clears throat> I want Ferriotego to be synonymous with whatever the brand equity and proposition of Ferriotego is going to be. And I hope it's equal to what it is today philosophically. And that is that we are unwavering in our quality, steadfast in our consistency, and always over-deliver in value. And that's not to suggest that it's cheap because I recognize that $22 for one of these, $23 for an Elegancia Generoso is not inexpensive for something that you burn in an hour. But when you do, when you invest $20 for an hour with Ferriotego, you get way more than $20 worth. And so I feel very good that when you look at the portfolio that is Ferriotego today, Metropolitan starting at $7 per cigar, up to $23 at our flagship Ferriotego Generoso and Elegancia. I think we punch way over our weight. Um, I think we offer we offer a unique proposition to consumers and retailers, and um, and I hope that when you see this, it makes you feel better. Um, I hope you appreciate the work. I hope you I hope you think about my family and Brendan's family. And know that that you are investing in good people who are working hard. Um, think of the Placencias and the Casadas and the folks at Agroindustrias too, all of which, by the way, are family businesses. And um, 
brands should make you feel better. And I think Ferriotego is a brand that will continue to make more people feel better. Did that answer your question at all? Absolutely. I'll take a cue from you, Michael, full stop. There it is. I, by the way, I found the quote that I mentioned earlier. And I think this is a good point. Progress should be measured from the point of origin, not proximity to the destination. That's the quote that I used in my message when I was at my high school, and it has resonated with me from the moment I heard it. It's uh, attributed to a guy named Keith J. Cunningham. And when I heard it, I wrote it down, and that has been my North Star for the last six months that I can't, I can't set my sights on the answer to your question. That's not my goal with Ferriotego. My goal as Ferriotego is to look at where we started when we first shipped in October of 2021, when we had zero customers and look at where we are today. We've shipped to almost 1200 retailers throughout the United States um, we've got incredible blends in market in core fashion. We've had limited editions met with great uh, reviews and, um, and we're developing great partnerships and great relationships every, every single day. That is great progress from our point of origin. I'm super proud of it. Thousand percent. I love that quote. It's a good one, right? It's fantastic. No, it's fantastic. It 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 really. I don't want to over-explain it. I just wanted to kind of sit there. We've lost sight of what progress is, as a culture. Mm-hmm. Everything is now set by like what we see, and we want to be there. And social media is the worst for that. You see someone that has something, and you want that. But that but just getting it is not progress. You haven't achieved anything. Progress is the steps it took to be able to get the thing that you want. And you have to recognize the work and the time. Absolutely. Well, Michael, I can't thank you enough for your time this evening. Uh, I can't believe how, how long we've been talking. Um, Talk about distance from the point of origin. Right. There we are. Um, I really appreciate our audience. We've had a lively audience this evening. Um, thank you for staying up late with us. It is much appreciated. Uh, this was a fantastic conversation. I always ask, and I just, as long as we're on, it's worth it. Was there anything in comments from a question standpoint that we should answer? Um, I don't think some questions, a lot of comments, a lot of praise, okay. you know, things like that. Uh, a lot of agreement on some of the points you made, uh, which was, which was good. Um, uh, really, like I said, a really lively audience, which was fantastic. Um, you know, that stayed with us for, for long. They're still, they're still up with us too, which is, which is just crazy. It's been pretty consistent the whole night. So thank you. Thank you so much to everyone who joined us this evening. Uh, thank Can you I ask so much. One last thing, my final closed. Um, and I think I've closed this way with you before, but I'm so grateful when people enjoy the work, invest their money, buy our brands. Um, 
and enjoy them. But if you could take one extra step and amplify your experience in however you amplify experiences, whether you take a photo and post it, whether you share your affection for a particular cigar in the lounge of your choosing, whether you just take a picture of it and show your buddy, you buy one extra and give it to someone, that is a uh, authentic endorsement of the work. And that is worth way more than an advertisement or a review because it's trusted. It's coming from you. It's, some, it's coming from someone who, who someone already has a relationship with. And so it would be a great help to us as a new and growing business. If you love Ferio Tego, please help us amplify our story by amplifying the brand that you love and just share it with someone, however you do that. Absolutely. Well, we've been sharing it with a lot of people tonight, and I know that it'll be shared with more in the coming days as uh, we get this out to the podcast world. Be sure to, if you are a subscriber on our podcast, remember you can always download our shows on you know, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, and so on. Be sure you download, subscribe, and review. If you are a subscriber, do me a favor, hit unsubscribe, but don't forget to hit resubscribe because that actually helps my numbers. And it allows me to get great guests like Michael whenever I want. So that's always nice. Uh, you can always check out our our live show every Sunday right here on our Facebook page, El Fumar. You can check out our YouTube channel by the same name. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button as well. And you can check out all of our shows leading up to the trade show uh, the last few weeks. They're on there as well. So good stuff, including our 250th take, none other than Michael's great partner, Manolo Casada, which was a fantastic conversation. He got up at four in the morning because he was in Spain, believe it or not. I know. To do that show. That was unbelievable. I couldn't believe that. He's the man. He is. Unbelievable. Um, So thank you to our audience again. Thank you to you, Michael, as well. And uh, we really appreciate it. We'll see everybody next week uh, as we've got a really fantastic guest. I'm really excited about that. That announcement will be coming here in the next couple of days. And without further ado, we'll close out tonight's show. As always, I'm Barry Duplissy, live from the Alec Bradley studio of Hazel, Texas. This was our 256 take. He's Michael Herklotz. I'm Barry Duplissy. And guess what, everybody? We'll see you next time. I'll say it for Michael. Ferio Tego! Ferio Tego!